Gamble is to gamble away from the vaccine and away from potential harm. Now, Jessica Rose, in her first paper, showed that the non-fatal um, reactions tend to be um, cardiac, cardi uh, cardiovascular, neurologic, and immunologic. They tend to occur quickly after the shot. Again, a tight temporal relationship. And with Rose, she's a, a really a tight, tight uh, epidemiologist, but virologist. She's made the case that we've completely fulfilled the Bradford Hill criteria for causality. We have a dangerous mechanism of action. We have a tight temporal relationship. We have internal consistency between death and the non-fatal um, events. We have external consistency because this is seen in the MHRA system, the yellow card system, and in the UDRA, UA, the EMA system. We basically got it. We have fulfilled Hill's tenets of causality. The vaccine is causing these events. Um, uh, uh, there are new categories of diseases. This is vaccine-induced immune thrombocytic penic purpurea. Look at the criteria. These are individuals who sadly, after about two weeks, more likely with the adenoviral vaccines, develop a hemolytic anemia. They develop thrombosis at the same time, thrombosis in a whole variety of organs, including um, abdominal, visceral, uh, uh, venous outflow. Uh, you know, we have, this is in the peer-reviewed literature now. So, you know, we don't have to speculate on this. This is real. This is this paper's from uh, 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 hypertension, which is one of the best papers, one of the best uh, daughter journals of circulation. Research letter, stage three hypertension in patients developing the messenger RNA SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. A marked uh, uh, skyrocketing of blood pressure in some individuals, which is catastrophic. We've had somebody in our circles in Dallas, a young man who's 42 has had an aortic dissection. Laura Ingram has had a woman in her 70s who suffered this with an intracranial hemorrhage, and she came on and told her story. Many of you have hypertension. That's who, when you have baseline hypertension, you take a spin with this vaccine, this is what you're risking. We don't know who's going to have life-threatening, potentially fatal hypertensive events with the vaccine. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I failed at making it shorter last time we tried this. <laughs> today, I am determined to make this show focused and shorter than at least it has been up until now. Again, really irrelevant about whether or not people want that or not. I'm trying to make that the case for many different reasons doesn't mean i'm not going to have my longer shows but today we're focused on one primary topic something by the way we have been tackling since the very moment this began and that's important so this is kind of a not just like this is a breaking story you guys should know about this and have i guarantee you know about this and a lot of people do and i think that's the issue is that right now we're not what we're seeing and, I, and i'm really kind of been tackling this animal for a while this this problem you know, that if everybody truly sees what we're, I just talked about this on Grand Theft World the other day, if everybody sees what's happening, and I believe that's where we are right now, that they're either choosing to ignore it for political reasons, not connecting the dots for personal reasons, you know, and I think that's the minority. And there's a gigantic amount of people that all see this on different walks of political life, but for one reason or another are convinced they're the minority or so on. But regardless of where they lie, if everybody sees this and is choosing to do this or that, but they all see it, 
ultimately what we're doing here, and this is just theorizing. It, we're, like the question is, are, are is what we're doing the right way to tackle that kind of a problem, right? Because ultimately we're going information. Everyone's going, yeah, we all know. And we're just doing different things with it. So my, it's just a question I want us to ask ourselves. If that's the case, is there a different way to go about this? And so on the myocarditis part about this, I, I think, and I, when I say the majority, that could mean 51%, understand. There's still uh, millions of people out there that might not see what's going on. But I do think the majority does clearly see this. And I think that's evidenced by numerous, the, the uptake of the booster, for example, 5%. People are aware there's something amiss. And, and you played a huge part in that. But today we're focusing just on the myocarditis aspect of this under the idea that, yeah, I think everybody's aware there's an issue. But the fact that the CDC, the FDA, the corporate media, and it goes without saying the Pfizer, Moderna's of the world. But in this case, the media and the apparatus, the governments are covering this up. And I'm going to show you a gigantic document. It's a very important document or, or an article essentially written by the British Medical Journal calling out the FDA specifically in their really dragging their feet in following up on very important information that they quietly put out about myocarditis or more specifically the cardiac issues after the injection. And this is while they're still forcing this on people, or you could play with that term if you want mandating, allowing mandates. It's crazy. The important part about this is that the evidence does clearly show what we're going to get into. And I think by the end of the show, you'll see that everybody does see this to one degree or another. And that's important to see that this is just, it's there and it's obvious and we need to do something about that. But to get it before we get into the mRNA uh, myocarditis overlap and what that shows you, I'm going to start today with two, I think, segments that I want to make to make a point about the, the length of the show that I didn't necessarily have to include. I want to, and I think it's important. There's sort of these side peripheral narratives, the, you know, commentary about what's going on, the, the talking points of the, the political sphere today that if I pushed off till tomorrow, I wouldn't talk about because there'll be new points like that tomorrow. Right. So. Tell me after the show, give me a comment, reach out to me on Discord. Let me know if you think I should have just jumped right in to the myocarditis point, which will be the, the main point of the show. And that's the end of the show with the focus. Or I should have, or you like that I have the couple of side peripheral talking points before we get into the larger show, all of which tend to overlap anyway, right? So I'm trying to feel out the audience because it's very hard for me to get a, a gauge on what everybody truly wants, but I'll always ultimately do what I think is important. But I, I want to be influenced by your thoughts. So reach out to me. Let me know if these opening segments were unnecessary. You didn't need any value from them. And you would have just hoped I jumped right into the title. Right. So let me know. So starting off today, I do think this is very important, by the way. Here is something that you might have seen circulating. I put this out on Parlor. Now, this is a, a, a another Project Veritas. This is just a clip. I, I recommend you check, find it, get the whole link and watch the entire thing of the Project Veritas video around the the twin of a current candidate admitting or say, stating essentially that previous candidates on the Democrat side. Now, again, you I don't know how she would be able to. She's claiming she knows this, but just taking it for like a dissectable, a dissectable point. She's claiming that the Democrat side were funding extremist or rather just however they frame it, the the radical right. Trump supporters, as opposed to the more moderate Republicans, because they they felt that that was going to guarantee them a win. Now, let's watch the clip. And I have some comments on this. And I feel that it might be the other way around or just at least a possibility for us to consider if that is actually why that was happening. Think Clinton emails Trump and their election. Now, let's watch the clip first. Either way, this is important. And this is what I say about Project Veritas work in general. It's very ridiculously obvious that they're very partisan. That's no one denies that. And of course, I pointed out many times where I do think these things were selectively edited, but 
everyone seems to do that these days. Not that that's okay. I mean, I people probably point out things they think I do in that regard. We all have our own perspective, perspe- percep- geez, I can't talk perspectives on this, but here's the clip in regard to that. And regard, my point was regardless of whether that's the case, it's still important. How do you deny what people say? Like the CNN saying nothing burger or them telling you we're going to go to climate change next. It doesn't matter how you pretend that was clipped. He still said it. It's still important. So his work, James O'Keefe and, and the platform is still important. I find value in this every time they put something out. Here's what it says. All across the country, Democrat candidates, not candidates themselves, but the party, was putting money in primaries into the races of the extreme Trump-endorsed candidates, as opposed to the moderate Republicans that were running because they wanted those extremists to win because they knew that the Dems had a better chance of winning their races against the extremist candidates than they did against the moderate Republicans. I'm just laughing at her reaction. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Just... No, like just people, you know, just the normie response to something like totally like that's not it's interesting, but it's not like r- no way. Like, of course, that makes it just funny. Most people don't see how manipulative and dishonest all politics are. No, I shouldn't say that. I don't think it's most anymore, but a lot do. I just want to explain why I laughed. So her point there, in case I laughed over the top, it was simply that they are doing so because they feel that, that guarantees them a win by funding the extremist or uh, far right groupings of the Trump supporters. I think there may be another reason for it. A fierce gubernatorial race is underway between current Secretary of State Democrat Katie Hobbs and Republican candidate Carrie Lake. Our undercover journalist sat with Becky Hobbs, that's Katie Hobbs' twin sister, and uncovered a surprising, if not shocking, national Democrat strategy to help Carrie Lake win her primary. So the Dem Party put money into those extremist races so that that would be... And okay, so on election night, on primary night, when we we were at Katie's event on primary night, and she didn't know the night of the election who her opponent was going to be, but Karen Taylor Robeson was up by 10. Yeah. And it was kind of like it took the air out of the room because everyone knew that Katie was polling better against Carrie Lake, and everyone knew that Katie had a better chance to win against Carrie Lake. So everyone wanted Carrie Lake to be the nominee. So it was kind of like this sigh of relief when Carrie Lake actually ended up winning. Yeah. Because Katie... it's a better opponent for her. Because yeah. she's because she's yeah. Yeah. So it will be easier for her to win. Right. This brings into question rhetoric in the news media, urging that democracy itself is at stake in this midterm election. So which is it? Are Trump-backed candidates a genuine threat? Or is it all engineered by the Democratic Party to alter public perception For their benefit, you decide. Reporting from Mm -hmm. Phoenix, Arizona, this is James O'Keefe with Project Veritas Action. I mean, there's some really interesting things to unpack there, right? I mean, and it's all, I don't think anybody could know for sure. Intention, right? We all love to speak about what they mean, they meant to do with certain things or how they feel about this today and the ridiculous, but it's interesting, right? So just taking his point. Is it is it possible that that's real? And think about this overlap with like the vanilla ISIS pl- creating the the illusion of the extremist party that they need to use to blame everything on to justify some future action, whether that's Great Reset related or something else. 
and how that overlaps, because that would make a lot of sense, right? But you essentially dumping the funding into them to create the issue, to to create the illusion that they're over. I don't even know. There's an interesting overlap there that you could consider how that could be applied, right? How interesting that would be. But on the other side of it, though, I want you to consider that it's not as simple and doesn't fall perfectly into the exact placements that the partisan talking points allow, right? As opposed to the idea that this might have been something like I think happened during the 2016 election. Right. Or, or, or rather the, the idea that the WikiLeaks emails made it clear, the release of the emails, that was Clinton's emails that WikiLeaks released, that they talked, and we all know this, they talked about how they made sure that Trump would be on that final stage. That's exactly what we're talking about. This is new, right? That's how this worked. And maybe it's because they thought that ultimately this was a guaranteed win if he was there. But remember, I think it, there's, a, there's a valid question to be asked about whether or not he was allowed to be there made to be there so that it would pacify or rather allowed to win so that it would pacify the people who would be the most resistant to what carried out under Trump's administration. Can you even imagine what would have happened if all of that would have happened under Clinton's administration? As I jokingly say all the time under Obama, if he sneezed too hard, people scream martial law and it's not that it's not unjustified. I mean, there's reasons to be concerned there. Any of the stuff that happened under Trump, if it had been Obama, you know how that would have gone. So now you've got the constitutionalists, the militias, the people that are acting like they already won and it's all over because Trump's in power, stopped pushing back, at least in a large degree. So in this case, is that what we're looking at? Was this an effort in it to make sure these people get into power for that same kind of idea to point it? I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it. I don't know, but I don't think it's as simple. And here's what I wrote on this clip. Partisan arguments aside, what about the possibility that this was because they wanted these people to win? Just as I offer the possibility that Trump was meant to win in order to pacify the groups that would have been the largest resistance to the biosecurity state agenda had it rolled out under Clinton, this could be the case whether or not Trump was necessarily aware of that. But think about this going forward. What would it serve to make sure these people are in power next? I argue it's because people are obviously aware of how They've fallen apart in this. They've lost control of the Ukraine narrative. They've lost control of the COVID narrative. They've lost control of the Great Reset push. They're still doing it, understand. But it's very obvious they've lost control of this. So roll in the DeSantis and Trump and everybody else and Gabbard and they all win and it's the Republicans won and a red wave and it's all over again. And don't you, you know we won again, just like we won forever with Trump. Now we won forever again. It's all over. The good guys won. I know I'm pessimistic, but then what would that do? That would create a situation where these people would be less resistant to what happened next. Now, you may not think it's possible, but what if it happened and they said, well, here's a new injection? Because there are some dangerous things. I don't think DeSantis disputes that there are viruses out there, right? So what if the next time they go, but it's a good one, though, because we made sure the Democrats aren't involved. You may be going, that's never going to happen. You know, a lot of Republicans said things would never happen that came to pass under Trump and Republicans, and they just rationalized it. Or same with the QAnon arguments and everything else. Okay, the point is, this is concerning to me for that exact reason. And things always get, they always allow them to fall into partisan talking points. And I think that's concerning. Oh, and then this thank you for Colonel Drizzle for pointing this out. They asked, this person said, holy, number one, holy crap. Number two, who's doing better journalism these days than Project Veritas? Number three, holy crap. They answered us, T-Lav, Whitney, myself, Grand Theft World as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, I, I, I do think they're doing good work. But again, to argue this is the best journalism out there when you can very clearly show that there's a slant partisan wise. I just don't get why we can't see past the partisanship. And I do why I know why some people don't, because it's beneficial to them. Something to think about. Now, interestingly enough, I was just going to mention a censorship point because this the first place this was seen was Project Veritas. 
uh, um, Derek actually reached out and said, reminded me about that. You remember when this happened? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. This 2019, where a Google whistleblower, whatever you think about him, by the way, he did have Google documents that very clearly proved that T-Lab, the last American vagabond, was listed on their censorship list for Google that we weren't supposed to see. I thought that was pretty interesting to just remember that, how long ago that was, and why us, and why then? We were far smaller when that was happening back then. I still think it's because partisanship or nonpartisan objective. I think it's dangerous to where this goes. But I went to go look at this, look at the link, and I just thought it was interesting that it's not there anymore. This is Project Veritas. I don't know why in the world they would remove this, including the document dumps that were supposed to be forever documents there for everyone to check out about Google's censorship. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know why. You guys can think for yourselves about it. You can check it. It's, it's no longer there. I had to use the Wayback Machine to get it to come up. Machine learning fairness. Whistleblower goes public, says burden lifted off my soul. You remember this whole thing. It's, I, this wouldn't play. I can't get it to play. But then uh, I, this, uh, this is the secondary page. Also, none of this comes up. Even if I use the Wayback Machine, I couldn't get it to work. It's very strange. So unfortunately, most of the documents can't be found. But we do have them other, in other ways. Are, I, they're out there, I would argue. But it's odd that Project Veritas would delete that. Doesn't that seem strange from a journalistic perspective? Just a thought. But then I wanted to play this very quickly so you could see it. Here's where I covered it back in 2019. Google Insider reveals political bias, TLAF listed. So just really quickly so you guys can remember this in case you didn't see this. This is not some hypothetical. Google has had us listed on the blacklist long before 2019. It's odd though, right? Because on this list, you see a lot of gigantic outlets, huge partisan players, and then the last American vagabond. Very telling. Here is another one of the documents that you leaked to us. This is, well, tell us what this is. Okay, so... This is a blacklist, one of many blacklists that, that are at Google. This particular blacklist is showing which uh, uh, news sites aren't going to show up underneath the search bar when people are searching on their Android phones. They're telling people that, oh, they don't, they don't have any blacklist. This is all done. You know, they don't have any political ideology. They don't have any political bias. But it's really clear that they do. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm the one that added the line and the zoom in. Just, but I just, that's, that's interesting. I just think it's important for those that may be new to this platform and our work. This has been going on a lot longer than COVID-19. I just think that's relevant. Take a look at the rest of them in there. Yeah, you find very few, in my opinion, you have InfoWars in there, you know, a very few, I would say, it's going to say nonpartisan outlets. That's very strange. I wonder why. I mean, it's very clear that outspokenly we're a very nonpartisan, despite, I mean, I get people on all sides of the partisanship calling us extreme left and extreme right. That's how obvious it is that we're nonpartisan because their heads explode and they can't figure out how to put it together, piece you into the broken plot paradigm. But on that note, and in, 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 after the censorship point, just thinking politics and, and, and the election and where it goes, I just wanted to include an update on this story. And then we'll do one more part and then we'll jump into the myocarditis focus for the rest of the show. National security reporter disappears after FBI raid. Now, this is the National File article. This was an update after we last covered it. I just thought this was interesting because something about this story just doesn't sit right for me. Now, that could literally be because he is being persecuted for something. And it, but that, that, that's one of the reasons why it might feel clouded and suspicious. Like there's, there's a lot about the story that doesn't add up, and that could be why. Or it could be because he's being set up to be some kind of persecuted whistleblower who's going to toe the line. Or it could be nothing, and it's being hyped for political reasons. I don't know. And nobody really else other than the FBI and the government does. But here's what it says. And just the parts, the update parts. Most everything else in here I've covered before speaking about this. Now, first of all, remember, uh, it's sources assert 
that federal agents identified classified documents on his laptop. That's never been followed up on, but the same thing with Trump. That was kind of the justifiable argument they, they claim anyway. I don't know why that's justifiable when he's a journalist, seeing as how it should sure first be proven that the person who leaked it to him and rather the documents themselves didn't prove cr- criminal action. Because, you know, the government doesn't care about this. That's why Julian Assange is still being persecuted because he's a whistleblower and they don't care, right? The point is in this case, there is a process that should have been he- upheld if he's a journalist and documents. It should be proven. Right. But they don't care. It's the documents there. Therefore, this. And that's how they're playing this off the rails game. Same thing with Trump. He's a president of the United States post anyway. And the idea that they, keep, they go after him. for I mean, it's just unprecedented. We all know this different conversation. Meek's lawyer published a statement, remember. So he the lawyer speaking up. This is current. And he's saying, look, this is blah, blah. blah. I don't know. The point is that the lawyer is acting on his behalf and speaking about him. So it's weird this being framed that he's like vanished. The lawyer is clearly talking to him. He's clearly relaying what he's saying. Now, the lawyer could be lying about that. Why is it that's not being focused on him? It clearly implies that he's not missing, and he's speaking to his lawyer, and his lawyer is communicating to the people about the fact, uh, that the, about the documents and everything else. That, isn't that obvious? And on top of that, remember, Allison Morrow's people she spoke to said that they, and this is, I can't verify any of this, but they spoke to people that knew, that his friends, and many of them said that they, they just saw him in August, right? After some, but they could be lying. I mean, all that's possible. But it's not as simple as he's disappeared and where is he kind of a thing. And it just seems strange to me that it's being focused on. Meek had been working on a book about the Biden administration's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Right. Now, you could argue it's disastrous, but not for the reason that the book is going to make an argument about based on what you can see in the title and everything. The disastrous withdrawal is going to be about the, you know, the vacuum and the fact that we left them high. The, that, the disastrous withdrawal was the fact that it didn't happen fast enough. And what they did is left everything behind like they always do and had no effort to try to tie. It, it's a. It's a towing the line kind of book, in my opinion. Here's what it says. After the April 26th, 27th raid, all information about Meek's upcoming book, which is reportedly titled Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook one last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan. Come on. That sounds, I mean, I'm not going to, don't judge a book by its cover or title, but my God, that sounds like the exact opposite of what I would argue is the reality. Like there's like Biden left and that is just, that is, you know, leaving like hurting the afghan people they don't want the u.s government there the u.s government destroyed that country so this just seems like a put up mainstream kind of thing so the idea that the u.s government would go after about a book about afghanistan i maybe there's something in there but i just that doesn't ring that doesn't connect for me but it says that meek was writing a book with former lieutenant colonel scott mann a former green beret he says quote he contacted me in the spring which it's odd that they don't put a time on that. I would, I'd be like, well, what exactly? April is when he's supposed to be disappearing. So couldn't they place that and be like, what time in spring? What exact date did you last hear from him? Because that would be relevant. Could have been way after April, but it's odd that they leave that up in the air and was really distraught and told me that he had some serious personal issues going on, which could mean anything, and that he needed to withdraw from the project. So arguably before he disappeared and at, before the raid, he reached out and said, I've got to back out of this. So that could mean some people were, pushing him to do that or it could mean i mean anything you could guess all day as a guy who's a combat veteran who's seen that kind of strain i don't know what it is or was i honored it and went his own way so he essentially pulled out of that project it sounds like and you'll see based on the title that this or the the um subtitle it seems to make be the case man has not heard from meek since then it says but prior to the april 27th raid the book jacket was operation express uh, pineapple express It read, in April, ABC News correspondent James Gordon Meek got an urgent call from Special Forces operators serving overseas. Then, after the raid, 
interesting timing. The next day, the jacket reads, in April, an urgent call was placed from a special forces operator overseas. Isn't that strange? All right, so he pulls out of the project, right? The book stays the same. Then after the raid, apparently, man, the, the Green Beret former, changes the title, or the, rather the book jacket. Now, I'll be that does speak to something from the for a law enforcement, or maybe he reached out after the raid personally and said, get me off that. I don't know. All that does seem to speak to something interesting that may relate to some kind of persecution around a story. That's certainly possible. The FBA stated that agents went to Meek's residence on the 2nd of April, my birthday, by the way, at the 2300 block of Columbia Pike and so on, conducting a court-authorized law enforcement activity. So before the raid, almost a full month before, they apparently went to, the, went to conduct this activity. The FBI can't comment further due to an ongoing investigation. So right there, that tells you that there is an investigation that does involve Meek that they're conducting. So that's interesting. That's more than I feel like I've sussed out of this from before. Meek has not been charged with any crimes, which is also very telling, right? If he was arrested for something in regard to, I mean, anything like they're all talking about, there would have been some kind of criminal action level because, I mean, at least as we pretend we have rights in this country, the idea is that that's not, you can't be held indefinitely without charge, right? So if he was, if not, if he was, that speaks to me that he's involved with the investigation as opposed to being investigated. Unless he's still being investigated and they haven't actually finished it. But then why would this whole thing be happening? Why would the raid happen? Why would he be disappearing? These are all just questions. I don't know the answers to. An additional investigative journalist, Brian Epstein, love you got to really hate that name these days, also left ABC months before Meek did, which is, could mean nothing. But then when he re we reached him for comment, he, he then said, I won't be commenting on this story. So too did all the other people that Allison Morrow and her and her circles reach out. They don't, nobody wants to comment, like aggressively saying no thank you. So there's something going on here. But I'm just suspicious about how it's being set up and how all sides of the partisan media are covering it like he's being persecuted before we know what's happening, which that's why I'm concerned that he's getting kind of set up as a whistleblower. I, you know, call me conspiracy theorist. We should be able to ask these questions today. Both journalists worked on a documentary called 3212 Unredacted, a film about four American Green Berets that ended up dead after an ambush by ISIS on Niger in Nigeria in 2017, which most Americans don't even know we're in Niger. The film debuted in 2021 on Veterans Day and via Hulu. Now, witnesses are unable to state whether or not Meek was removed from the building at the time of the raid, which is interesting because apparently there are all sorts of people watching. And remember, even people on the record Rolling Stone and the other outlet we looked at, I think it was New York Post, people there said apparently the building was vacated or his apartment before that happened. None of this adds up. And it seems like willful, willfully not including those very important points in a lot of these discussions. Very strange to me. But it says, I just want to know what happened. And somebody else involved with that re unredacted video said it's making me nervous. So all feeling like they're being persecuted. Now, that one makes much more sense. Right. People down here calling it a cover up of the highest levels by the army. But it already came out, though. So if it's already out in public. It doesn't make sense. They would sweep him up afterward. Eh? Anyway, see, these are the kind of things I'm talking about, by the way. Let me know if you felt like that was valuable to you. I felt I feel like that's important to keep us up to date about the picture going forward. And then finally, kind of peripheral point here. I just thought this was interesting discussing the paradigm and left versus right. Al Alessandra Bocci points out at Italy has its first female prime minister in history. Right. So before you read forward, that sounds like something everyone in the corporate media is screaming about. Right. Where's all the woke mindset screaming? Look at this female prime minister first in history in Italy. Right. But that's exactly her point. Raised in the outskirts of Rome, working class without a father. She didn't attend university and said she worked night shifts as a waitress. I mean, this is like the cookie cutter example of what they should be praising left and right. Right. In their mentality about why that's more important, because just because she's a woman, 
Not that she's got, you know, you know the whole argument. But guess what? She's not progressive. No one talked about it. If she had been progressive, they point out, the press would have been placing her on every magazine cover everywhere. And you know that's the truth. We've already seen that take place. But I guess because she's not the right political party, it doesn't matter. What more evidence do you need to see to show you that these people don't care about what they claim they care about? They care about using these things to change your perspectives. If you cared about women's rights or whatever else they're talking about, then that would be important, wouldn't it? It just You just need to see how dishonest they are from every walk of life. And it's both sides of paradigms and multiple pair sides of par- the all every political party, I would argue. And the U- all the people in these different Western countries lined up in this direction, screaming about the right thing we should be doing. But really, they don't care about it from, I would say, by and large, from people actually making the decisions. That's I argue there's a lot of pol- politicians in the lower rungs that believe that's what people are fighting for. Regardless, <laughs> how obvious is that? Now, on to the last segment for myocarditis. I think this is interesting in regard to foreign policy, Ukraine, China. The, you might have seen on the 24th that the, yesterday that the U.S., the U.S. Justice Department, I, I, I don't know why they do this. I mean, I do know why. It's propaganda to get people primed to start theorizing and talking. They love when you guess at what they're about to do, but they don't like when you guess about things that are important that they don't want you talking about, Right. So go ahead and that's why they put this out. I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is hold a press conference on significant national security matter later today. Okay, then why put that out there? Why not just come out and have the damn conference because it'll be covered the same way. It's because they want you going, ooh, a conference. Let's all theorize about what might be said today about that. And it overtakes the media conversation. It's stupid. It's, it's meant to clutter the conversation more the follow-up now and discourse tv this is what they meant to do just give you what is being reported so i'm not discounting what they're doing but it's all the corporate media conversation attorney general garland at all will address quote malign influence schemes and aligned criminal activity by a nation state actor in the united states but we'll leave that unspoken until later like you come out again you understand this is later to give a little more information and they go oh but well, tune in later i mean it's about china Come on, just get to the point. Cut to the chase. We're all busy here. Like I'm, I'm being facetious, but how frustrating is that, right? But it happens all the time. And I'll show you again in a point in a moment about Ukraine. But here's what it's about. Finally, finally get to the point. Chinese nationals charged an obstruction probe, which interestingly brings to mind the idea of Charles Lieber and the Chinese nationals and that kind of conversation. But this is a little different. It says the U.S. Department of Justice has charged 13 individuals, including officials of the Public's Republic of China, People's Republic of China, for alleged efforts to unlawfully exert influence in the United States for on the behalf of, for the benefit of the government of the public People's Republic of China. The charges include conspiracy to forcibly repatriate PRC nationals, basically forcing them to go back to China and no longer be. I, I would argue that has to mean that they have U.S. citizenship, essentially, right? Because that's a you repatriate, bringing them back over to China, essentially forcefully attempted obstruction of a criminal prosecution and conspiracy to act as an illegal agent of the foreign country, according to release from the DOJ, which I have no doubt. I don't in every one of these governments are doing things like this. And every that's what that's what their agencies are. That's what their intelligence agencies do as much as they pretend like the CIA only fights for freedom. You know, they're over there doing this in, in most surreptitious, malicious ways all the time. History shows you that. Now, that's not to diminish what China's did. Of course, they should be held accountable, but it's interesting for the next part. The Justice Department will not tolerate attempts by any foreign power to undermine the rule of law upon which our democracy is based. Except we do it all the time everywhere. I'm speaking as them, right? You're not allowed to do it here. But if you stop us from doing it over there, 
anywhere, Taiwan or in China proper, then then you're the one stopping freedom. Right. So it's just it, it rings hollow when people who are regularly breaking the rules and the law stand up and scream about the rule of law. Right. Call me crazy. But it says these indictments of the of the Chinese government, I guess the People's Republic of China, intelligence officers and government officials for trying to obstruct a U.S. trial of a Chinese company masquerading as university professors to steal sensitive information and trying to strong arm a victim into returning to China again expose the country's outrageous or rather the government's outrageous behavior within our borders. Right. So you're telling me that's how is that different than what you're doing in Taiwan? How is it different what you're doing in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, every, everywhere you look around the world? But it's a bad when they do it, though, right? Right now, they have provable in agendas just like this. I mean, you can, I'll just go back to the beginning of the agenda in Ukraine. We've talked about Prologue, right? The company in New York that the CIA set up with known Nazi war criminals to run as a front and influence Ukraine. And they also did it in Ukraine. That's exactly what we're talking about. They do it to this day. It's just, it's just not that this is equally problematic from China's side of it, and we should care, but it's just that you, it, this is what I would argue. Stand up and just simply say, this is, you're violating laws and you need to be held accountable for it. Like, just stand up and make this moral charge argument about how we need to uphold the rule of law. Nobody believes you anymore. Nobody thinks that you're being honest when you act, stand up and play the moral card because you're being caught literally everywhere violating it. So it's just frustrating. But the point is that this is about China. I find it's an interesting overlap trying to continue to make it about China influencing the I think this has to do with more more about the idea of the overlap of intelligence in regard like Charles Lieber was the concept of Harvard and having agreements with with research in regard to China and them kind of siphoning off that information or this is how they framed it. Interesting. And I think there's a relevant point to this, but this is going to continue to happen in regard to I think that's going to be played out more in regard to the whole. I do think it's about the pandemic to put a fine point on it. I do think that somehow that's going to relate to the idea of information, the research in regard, but I'm, I'm guessing at that point, either way, it's being set up to be China, bad guy and look at what they're currently doing. Now. I think that perfectly overlaps into what they're doing here. I think they're one and the same personally. And this is about the election. So that was about setting up the idea that look at where they are. They're influenced in, in, administ in universities and influencing everything. And then that's going to be the precursor to that's why we didn't actually lose or whatever happens next. Whoever loses, by the way, I promise you that's what's going to happen. Somebody at some level of this election is going to argue that China or Russia was influencing the election. And that's why this happened or that happened. Are you, are you, are you doubting that? I mean, we could, it's, fair, it's guaranteed at this point. Even if it does, even if it doesn't happen, even though it does most of the time, October twenty fourth, set to warn. Same point, Biden administration set to warn of threats. Oh, so they're not warning yet. This is just the precursor to when they're set to warn you in the next thing they do. Why don't they just come out and go? We're warning about threats. We're gonna we're setting an appointment to warn you. Then we're gonna give you a heads up. We're gonna set. We're gonna have that warning today at three. <laughs> this is so stupid. Anyway, the point is the Biden administration is set to issue warnings this week about threats to the national election. Just say it. We all know what you're going to say, that they're going to influence our election and we need to stop it. And we, that's why they're doing this and doing that. Mail-in ballots and drop-offs, except that actively undermines the election. People familiar with the matter told Politico that national security officers will release an intel intelligence bulletin highlighting cyber threats posed by China and Russia and non-state actors as well. Physical threats. That's what they're talking about here. On Friday the 2nd, 
individuals dressed in tactical gear were outside one of the ballot drop boxes. Well, how about we just do away with that? There's plenty of reasons we have other... If you want more insight on the idea of what we should be doing, here's a great discussion I had with Craig uh, Jardula Pasta from, from AM Wake Up and Convo Couch. International election observation and discussing whether democracy exists. He's got great insight into what, what if you believe this, the, the democratic process is working, that there's ways that they could do it that would be far more sound. And they all know that. And all they're doing is pushing it in a direction of less accountability. The bulletin is after reports of this kind of influence. And I argue this is just a me. Like, I mean, they're meant to look like repel, like some kind of like militia men trying to influence and maybe they're not. I mean, thinking about the fact that they're arguing they're funding alternative candidates, why wouldn't they go out like this? Why wouldn't Antifa dress up like Republicans and do things at January 6th? Oh, they did. That's right. And they were caught on the record. But nobody cares about that in the investigation, right? There, this is, there's, we're in a game of psychological war, even in the, pol- in the political sphere, very clearly. Now, lastly, on Ukraine, where are we at? 37. See, I feel like that's too long. Let me know if you guys think these are important. Zelensky is the initiator of the war says Rabbi Josef Ben Porat, a leading specialist in the history of the Jewish people in the Holocaust, accused Zelensky himself of unleashing the conflict in Ukraine, as well as promoting Nazism and fascism. And they spell it differently in here because they you know, get censored on Twitter if you say the wrong things. But the point is that he's the one saying this. I just find that very interesting. It's in subtitles. Ukrainians, one and a half million Jews were killed by Ukrainians, he says. Those who are interested can read the, you know, you, I mean, you could you could just believe, take him at his face at face value or not. What's interesting, though, is that it seems to contradict the argument that they're saying that this, you know, basically, well, Zelensky's Jewish, therefore, that's and that in and of itself is an insulting argument. That's a racist argument, right? Like, so he's not capable of like the I, the bottom line is it, it there, like we've said many times, there were Jewish people during the war that worked with the Nazis. So the idea that it's not possible because he's that is meant to make you dive into the conversation so they can then call you a racist or anti-Semitic. So they hope that stops the conversation. <laughs> Look at this. Ukrainian Nazis is trending. I mean, my God, guys, they have lost control. This is this. I mean, this year, let's refresh it and watch how it goes away. They are hiding this stuff regularly. Oh, my God, it's still there. That's the first time I've seen that happen. So clearly people see through what's going on today. Now, I, I argue that will disappear shortly. That's just how they will attack these things. But Vanessa Billy shares this from same same outlet from AZ Geopolitics. He says the Iraqi edition of the alarm reports that dozens of Al Qaeda linked militants have left for Ukraine, which, by the way, has already been proven, proven. There's been numerous documents from them bringing people from Syria over into Ukraine. That's that, that they're moderate rebels. I mean, they're literally even use that term, even though we all know childishly, it's so ridiculous that that's not the thing that oh, even Obama was forced to admit what that actually was, but they're still playing the game again today. Oh yeah. By the way, they're raping them with Viagra again, too. They're just bringing up all the old lies because they don't care. The point here is that they are bringing Al Qaeda militants into Ukraine to fight alongside the good guys, apparently. And as Vanessa Billy points out, of course, that's why the UK and the US keep ISIS and holding camps in Syria and Iraq, as Vanessa and I have spoken about. In Yemen, for example, how I just made this joke the other day, or that joke really, but facetiously talking about the fact that it's ridiculous, that in Yemen, there's a gigantic portion, even on their maps, that is ISIS territory, perfectly snug within the Saudi Arabian-controlled area. There's not even access to the to the to the uh, the the border, as far as I know, if I'm remembering correctly. So they have to move in and out through Saudi territory. It, it's so pathetically obvious that they're working with these people, that they're arming these people, that in fact they have created these people. But we just don't want to talk about it. Here's a great 
Consortium News, or rather it's from Caitlin Johnstone, White House may block Russia-friendly Musk from buying Twitter. Now, this is the most obvious example of what this is really about. And we already we just talked about this as they wrote, how revealing is it that Elon Musk could be forbidden by the White House from purchasing a giant social media company on the grounds that he's not sufficiently hostile enough toward Moscow? That's, and this is not even a joke. This is from Bloomberg that she's reporting on. The Biden administration is considering opening a national security review of Elon Musk's business, which we already reported to you, which could see the, the Plucrat's purchase of Twitter blocked by the White House, in part because Musk is perceiving, perceived as having an increasingly Russia-friendly stance. That's their terminology. Bloomberg reports, Biden administration officials are discussing whether the U.S. should subject some of Elon Musk's ventures to national security reviews, including the deal for Twitter, Inc. So literally telling you that the control of Twitter is important to their national security. Are we still pretending they're not state-owned access that are censoring people based on government? We've proven this already. So this is not a private company has the right. Gone. They are obviously what we thought they were. And it says, and SpaceX Starlink satellite network, according to people familiar with the matter. U.S. officials have grown uncomfortable over Musk's recent threat, according to Bloomberg, to stop supplying the Starlink satellite service to Ukraine after one of the officials of Ukraine told him to F off. And he was like, I'm just doing what I'm told. <laughs> Their fault. They pe- clearly think that they're in, you know, completely beyond reproach. He said it had cost him $80 million so far. And what they see as increasingly Russia-friendly stance, that's Bloomberg saying that, following a series of tweets that outline peace proposals favorable to Putin. Because to them, any peace proposal is favorable to Putin because they don't want Putin to gain anything from this. So they don't care about Ukrainian people. They want the Russian government to suffer. That's what they're doing. They also are concerned by his plans to buy Twitter with a group of foreign investors. And what's interesting, as she points out, the group of foreign investors that the Biden administration is reportedly worried about, interestingly, includes Prince Al uh, Ali bin Tala of Saudi Arabia, Saudi, excuse me, of Saudi Arabia, who we've already spoken about in the past, who has already been a massive Twitter shareholder for years, one of the leading shareholders. In fact, there was a time when he had more than than Jack. And the point was that this is very clearly used to influence Twitter. And I proved this back then. The White House certainly never had a problem with foreign investors before in regard to Saudi Arabia. Isn't that interesting? It could speak to their the, the growing divide between them, or it could just be that there's they just don't want. I don't think that they have had a, a control over Saudi Arabian actions for a long time, that they've lost clout for a lot of different reasons. But either, however you look at this, it's the fact that they are showing you that they want control over the direction of what happens on this platform, which means that they're influencing it. There's no doubt. Officials in the U.S. government and intelligence community are weighing what tools, if any, are available that would allow the federal government to review Musk Ventures. So you see, they're just, they're pouring through, re- how, how can we do this? So it's not about, should we, is it the right thing? They've decided what they want to do, and all they're doing is finding a legal loophole that will allow them to do it. That is what authoritarian governments look like. That's totalitarianism. They're doing what they want and acting like it's in your best interest. Shouldn't he have the right to do it? Of course he should. They can't just scream national security. This is They claim it's a private company, don't they? <laughs> Oops. One possibility is through the law governing the Committee on Foreign Investment of the United States to review must deals and operations for national security risk. So they're using the idea of Saudi Arabia being involved to make it justifiable that it's foreign investment. You see my point? So... They don't really care about that. That's their loophole. Musk, the world's richest person, has taken to Twitter in recent weeks to announce proposals to end Russia's war 
and threatened to cut financial support for Starlink Internet in Ukraine, says Bloomberg. Yeah, God forbid the war should end. They're literally saying because he's asking for the war to end, that's a problem. His tweets and public comments have frustrated officials in the U.S. and Europe and drawn praise from American rivals. That's the proceed. Just because Russia says we like this, therefore, he's now a bad guy. He's spreading Russian propaganda now because he said something Russia agrees with. Childish. Neither Bloomberg nor any other mainstream members of the Imperial com- uh, Commentariat. What was that one again? Members of the news media considered as a class. That's interesting. Appear to take any interest in the jarring notion that the U.S. government could end up banning the purchase of an online platform from a, from an from an independent. All right, uh, I guess that I wouldn't call him independent, but re- regardless, from the narrative from a, from a private American citizen could end up banning that purchase of an online platform because it, it views the purchaser as simply having an unacceptably Russia-friendly stance. If you question where we really are today with this government that does not represent American interest, it's right there in front of you. That is wild to argue that just because he has a, I mean, shouldn't, I, I, there's so many, so many directions to go with there. You got just realize that that is unacceptable. Shouldn't we be allowed to have a Russia-friendly stance if that is what's happening, even though that's not what's happening here? In fact, it's quite obvious he's gone out of his way to scream that he supports Ukraine. There are people that are that are pro-Russia that have accounts with him kissing a Ukrainian boot. So the perception is that he's wildly pro-Ukraine. But just because they, even pro-Ukraine, if you even argue the war should end, apparently you're a Russian stooge. That's how stupid this has gotten. Not only is it uncritically accepted that the U.S. government mustn't allow the purchase of a social media company if the will-be buyer isn't deemed adequately hostile to U.S. enemies, Many mainstream liberals are actively cheering for this outcome. It's, it is completely counterintuitive. This says so much about the, how the U.S. government views the function of Silicon Valley's mega corporations and why it has been exerting more and more pressure on them to collaborate with the empire to greater and greater degrees of in intimacy. As far as the U.S. empire is concerned, Silicon Valley is just an arm of the imperial propaganda machine. That's what it is. And empire ab- ab- uh, apologists believe that it is that, that's as it should be. My God, so very clear. And just to add to it, Wyatt Reed points out, as this says, meanwhile, the U.S. is outraged as Russia is for invading its neighbor. Well, the U.S. has been at war 228 out of 246 years of its existence, but we're meant to believe Russia is the one starting unprovoked wars, right? And here's the meme, the USA with all the list of all the countries they've destroyed, and then the U.S. saying, why is Russia so aggressive? Now, I'm not trying to belittle actions that Russia has taken that are problematic or against the law or work. I mean, but you can't, the overlap is ridiculous. One of them in this grouping is the most obvious aggressor is in living memory, destroying countries. And just because you want to pretend that the Russia has is surreptitiously doing like, sure. I think all governments are concerning, especially behind the scenes, but you know, what makes it much more concerning is that this is not behind the scenes. This is right in your face. So what's going on behind the scenes for the U S government is so much more concerning. And that's what we're actually talking about in the bigger discussion. But this is on the surface. But but they're the ones we should be watching. I mean, my God. Okay. All of that being the preamble, of course, which is an hour, 45 minutes, 47 minutes. Let me know if you thought that wasn't necessary. So here's the focal point of the show today. And the only reason, again, is I'm asking these things is because I'm just trying to kind of up. I, I do think that the smaller these are, the better reach they get. But not, it's not always the most important. I watch people do similar shows to mine where they just kind of in 20 minutes brush over some of these tweets and talking points and articles 
and I just feel like it's hollow. There's not enough disgust in there, but maybe that's just my perspective. So this next section is specifically on myocarditis and the cover-up that's taking place. Now, I want to start with something that Sean Penn said, which it just makes my skin crawl. These, as I tweeted this out, why does anyone care what these uninformed actors have to say? Genuine question. Like, it blows me away. Why do we feel, why do we give some level of reverence to these people just because they're actors? It's ridiculous. I mean, just like the politicians even. These are some of the most uninformed people out there that have the opinion that they know more than anybody because they've got a buddy in the CIA or whatever they, you know, they tell themselves. I know because I talked to them and I, I, I spoke to Obama the other day and I know, like, really? Like, just listen to what he has to say here. And then we'll go through how wildly wrong and dangerous what he's saying actually is. He says at this point, people unvaccinated, it seems criminal to him. Actually what he said. Been, you know, working tirelessly with, you know, helping on COVID testing, vaccination sites. What goes through your mind when you hear a lot of the anti-vaccine rhetoric? Um, it, it's it's a cowardice of conviction. I, I think that it is an unwillingness to engage in a culture of common sense uh, that at this point it seems criminal to me, actually. I, I really feel that, um, that, that, that if someone chooses not to be vaccinated, that they should choose to stay home, not go to work, not have a job. These are, you know, as, as long as we're all paying for these streets, we got to ride safely on them. And so I'm just hopeful that the mindset will change. And it started. We know that it, this really started with leadership. issues. So what exactly do you propose they do, Sean Penn? Just go home and just die? No job, no income. What home do they have? What home do they, could they go to? Like, like this is a, a, a very rich actor who doesn't even rationalize that. OK, well, then just go to your home then because we all have homes, right? Well, no, we don't all have homes. And especially today especially when you don't have an income that will pay the rent for that home, right? I mean, this is ridiculous, especially since what he's talking about is a disconnect, like of, 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 of uh, what was the word he used? Um, it, it's, it's a cowardice of conviction. I, I think that it is an unwillingness to engage in a culture of common sense. Common sense, right. So first of all, what is he, I would love to have him flesh out the idea of whether he thinks there's any danger behind this, right? Because if he clearly, obviously doesn't think, if there's any danger, whether it's a moderate risk or not, the force this on people is you're saying, well, okay, because I argue that we should do it, you have to take that risk. Well, wouldn't that, then that should damn well be clear, and even then it shouldn't be allowed, that that means that the benefit is obviously better. But see, that's not, that is provably not true. With what they are talking about, that is fundamentally, obviously not true. So he's stuck back in 2020 propaganda land where he's acting like benefits outweigh the risk. There's no problems. Everyone's safe. And you're just mad because you don't understand what's going on. It's just sickening to me that these people are trotted out in front of everybody and they make these kind of statements. Now, just wait until we go through the peer-reviewed science that undeniably shows this. Now, what blows me away is that they act like this is fake news. Like, it's not even possible that you could have a heart attack or myocarditis, despite the fact their own, the CDC states that that's possible. But yet then how could it be possible, but simultaneously impossible when somebody says it happened? Uh, that at this point, it seems criminal to me, actually. I, I really feel that, um, that, that, that if someone chooses not to be vaccinated, that they should choose to stay home, not go to work, not have a job, these are, you know, as, as long as we're all paying for these streets, we got to ride safely on them. 
and paying for the streets, right? Because that's what's happening. I mean, it's just it's just such a a childish level understanding of what actually goes on. Like our tax dollars are paving the street. Like the reality is, your tax dollars are murdering people overseas. Right. And then the streets, if that ever gets to come to pass, like the idea that you could look at how much money goes into the, the local funding on, let's just say, streets, you know, pay the streets and upkeep and so on. And then realize that it almost never happens. Like you have to go petition the local government to be like, this pothole's been here for two years. Like the point is that money comes in every year and they very rarely actually do things. But he doesn't know that because he doesn't live in the places we do. He lives in a fairy tale land of people that are in this 0.01% of elitists. They don't understand what your life is like, but they, they choose to dictate it, though. So I'm just hopeful that the mindset will change. And it started. We know that it, this really started with leadership voice. And now I think that there are some examples of leadership that are being helpful with it. Uh, but we really got to get everyone else, every, every, everybody on the same page. And I think the CDC should be much more clear. Ah, uh, yeah, they just they just weren't very clear. Right. It's not like they've been caught lying 15 times. No, they just they just that's kind of what they're doing now is acting like, no, it was just an accident and we lost trust. And it's a travesty. I lost trust in the institutions. No, people don't trust them because of a lot of things that have happened long before we got here. This just solidified the allow. People are now feeling comfortable enough to stand up and be like, don't we all see how crazy? Yeah, you do, too. Okay, good. Finally, we can talk about people see this. They really do. And it's always been this way. It's not just that they they tried to hide it for you because they thought you wouldn't understand and they lost trust. They lied to you. They covered up information. They, dis- they knew that it was dangerous and they dragged their feet or hid it entirely. Let's prove that to you for all those that might not know that. Now, first of all, let's start with Dr. Asimo Holtra just because this is somebody who was moments ago on the other side of the argument. One of the leading people in this conversation at this point. Now, we should question, as I keep saying, anybody in this field that's suddenly changed their tune, because I'm skeptical about that. Nonetheless, you should listen to him when he talks about this and consider it because it is whether he's having different intent for why he wants to tell the truth today. It is the truth, in my opinion, based on the science and so on. But the reality here. This is not new. As he points out, new Japanese, not this study's new, but the topic is not new. New Japanese research preprint publication. SARS-CoV-2 vaccination was associated with higher risk of myocarditis death, not only in young adults, but also in all age groups, including the elderly. So here's the actual article, uh, PDF. I'll just read you the conclusion, then we'll go forward. It says SARS-CoV-2 vaccination was associated with a higher risk of myocarditis death. So if you get myocarditis, you have a higher risk of dying if you had the injection versus naturally getting it. Now, remember, that's important because you don't automatically have, you get the injection, the risk is instantly there. They argue the risk comes from COVID-19. You have to get that first, which is a ridiculously low possibility for most people under, I mean, most people, to be quite honest. But it says, not only in young adults, but also all age groups, including the elderly. Considering healthy vaccine effect, the risk may be four times or higher than the apparent risk of myocarditis death. Right. So meaning that you have a four or, or higher, four or five times higher, just let's say four times or more higher risk of dying from myocarditis than if you just naturally got the problem. That's crazy. Underreport and then realize that the increased risk of getting it in the first place is dramatically higher than naturally. They just try to overlap it with COVID-19. And even that's been shown not to be the case. But they again, this narrative. I've shown you numerous peer-reviewed studies that find that the risk of myoc- or after COVID-19 for myocarditis is non-existent. That's a, that this, there's other studies that show, say the opposite, but at the very least, it's challenged. 
But the point is that the risk is here and dramatically higher immediately after this injection. Underreporting should also be considered based on the study. Risk of myocarditis following injection may be more serious than previously reported. Shocking. Now, here is an article about it. If you'd like to read, this is from Epic Times, more about it. People of all ages are higher risk. That's important. The same point, just if you want to read the article. Here is Professor Arn Burkhart. Uh, the, oh, excuse me, fan account. In any case, the, the study is here. We present autopsy findings of a 22-year-old man who developed chest pain in five days after the first dose of this injection. Died seven hours later. Here is the report. This is uh, just an important port, single case that was found to be the injection. This, what I'm showing you here is that this is not up for debate. You can debate how dangerous it is, how often it would happen, but the fact that you can get this, that your injection can cause your heart to explode, literally, and then just in general cause heart problems, is not is, is for sure. Even they admitted that, and I'll show you the CDC next, which you all know. We present autopsy findings of a 22-year-old man who developed chest pains five days after the first dose of the Pfizer injection. Died seven hours later. Seven hours later, histological examination of the heart revealed isolated art- arterial myocarditis with neutrophil and hist histocyte predominance. There was no evidence of microthrombosis or infection in the heart and other organs. The primary cause of death was determined to be myocarditis, causally associated with the Pfizer injection. Peer-reviewed science, guys, but let's just keep ignoring it because they don't like what it shows. And this is what they end up ignoring. Doctors are baffled after 18-year-old athlete suffers cardiac arrest during tennis practice. Just like this, 22-year-old. Injection dies seven hours later. Now, these people, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue we know for sure it's the injection. The reality, though, is that we have an, un, an unbelievable amount of people collapsing. Athletes, you know that we've been calling this out. Shout out to Jay Wilderness in the chat or Good Science and the different groups that have been continually calling this out and being called conspiracy theorists. It's very clear that there's an overlap. Undeniably, because of what we know it can do and what is happening. So it's undeniable. They can't. This is the crazy part I keep pointing out. They can't come out and say, yes, it can cause myocarditis. And then we, or rather, let's just say cardiac arrest. That's true. And I'll, again, I'll show you the studies in a moment, more so than I already did. And then say, could that person have died from, from cardiac arrest from the injection? And they called a conspiracy theorist. That doesn't make sense. Of course they could have, because you just said it's possible. So does, it's very telling that they shut down any conversation, even people that have proven to have been caused by the injection, like the division one golfer remember that kid who his doctor proved that it was myocarditis by the injection and he got his account censored on tiktok for pointing that out how obvious this needs to be this is a very sad story a tennis player from rochester indiana 18 years old suffered a cardiac arrest right after he finished his warm-up laps now remember the, the clip we played in the beginning he, he made a reference to the point of hypertension at the end but it's the same point that if you have a pre-existing issue, or not, by the way, it doesn't have to be that case, but if you do have a pre-existing issue, it's that you're far more likely to have something flare up because of this. It exacerbates seemingly everything. I mean, kind of hyperbolic there, but it seems to be the case. But in this case, it doesn't even have to be something you had before because they don't find anything. Because even that's shown to be the case. There's people that are completely healthy that this thing just has a very problematic effect in their body and they, and they seven hours later in the last case die. His name was Drew Strasser. Jake, or is, Jake, a friend and a teammate, rushed to his aid and began CPR as Coach Jesse Atkinson went to grab an automated external defibrillator, which, of course, they just have right on call these days, which is very telling, to shock his heart while someone called 911. Their prompt response most likely prevented the teen's death. Now, it says, quote, we were just shocked. 
He didn't see, it didn't seem real. He's never had any passing out moments before. He's never had any signs of heart issues. It just completely came out of the blue. Drew Stasser's sudden cardiac arrest has left his doctors baffled. <laughs> of course. His diagnosis, they say, is what's referred to as idiopathic. As you've heard, remember, that means they don't know. Idiopathic ventricular fibrillation, which basically means we don't have another diagnosis. That's exactly what the doctor said that. So I hate that they give these things names when they just don't know what it is, because that tends to just become like a fill-in diagnosis, like SIDS or SADS, sudden adult death syndrome. And then people begin calling it that like it's a diagnosis. That's happening right now. It means they don't know what it is. That's a cover diagnosis for hiding things like this, I argue. But it says, quote, this is today reporting this. They told us, no, he didn't have a heart attack. It was that he was in sudden cardiac arrest. That's really interesting to me. I think it's important to understand the difference. It was very traumatic, scary, scary morning. Now, sudden cardiac arrest is defined as the abrupt loss of heart function, which, which is what happened to him, breathing and consciousness. Whereas a heart attack is when blood flow to a part of the heart is blocked. Very interesting differentiation, right? Because what we're talking about is not a, a clogged arteries, let's say. We're talking about the fact that your heart function, breathing and consciousness just stopped. That sound, I mean, that, that, and that's... It, so that seems why, like likely why there's no problem there because whatever this is, the mRNA spike protein, whatever's happening, if that's the case, just cause this abrupt action to happen, which is what we were seeing elsewhere, right? That's what we had experts who are being honest about this are telling you that's possible. I'll play a great clip from Dr. Bakhti in a moment where this is what he was telling you way back in 2020. Dr. Drew Strasser always participated in sports and never had any health problems. Just three weeks earlier, this is so important, he visited the doctor for a physical. Nothing abnormal with his heart was detected. All right, so he just went to the doctor. He was completely tip-top health. And then he gets an injection. Or excuse me, that's what my, my argument would be. And I do believe that's the case when you go through this. The idea that this is something that is being done to children, even when they're healthy, and then having these problems. Now, my point is not to say we should assume each one of these are the injection. Just point out very clearly that there is a... Like, let's just say it's expected to have 10 of this happen in a year that we're seeing 50 times that amount, whether we're talking about athletes or children and nobody wants to. The same with the excess death argument. People like people like Dr. John Campbell are beginning to go like, look, how in the world are we not even talking about this? It's unprecedented. And that shows you everything, in my opinion. Uh, let's see. I thought I had something else highlighted down here. Guess not. Okay, but so the point was, we're baffled, right? We're confused. We don't understand what's going on. And as Natalie F. points out, the doctors who know why this is happening and are refusing to speak out about it for fear of losing their license are absolute gutless cowards. And I agree with that at this point. You're letting children die. I mean, that's just disgusting. I don't care what you think you're fighting for at this point if you're letting this happen. Now, this is one of those fact checks. If you can find an endless amount of them right up to this moment, no evidence that COVID vaccines are linked to athletes collapsing or dying from myocarditis. Okay. And the fact check is painfully ridiculous. Read, it's just a sidestep everywhere. But you know this is old news at this point. They don't want you to think about it, despite the fact, what do you mean no evidence? The evidence alone is that people would get the injection, and many of them provably did, and then had cardiac arrest. That's evidence right there. Then you realize, well, if we acknowledge that it can cause cardiac arrest, same point. How is it not poss possible just to go, nope? No evidence of well, the point is that as in many people would point it out that when you have no cause or no provable cause after they got the injection and they, they don't know why 
that's usually an indication it was vaccine related. That's what previous the pre the, the Pittsburgh medical examiner said in the record back when this was first starting. But here, as I played before, is Dr. Asimo Holtra telling you as a highly regarded expert who was moments ago being paraded around the corporate media, who is now telling you that he believes that this is what's happening, that it is because of this. And that's why people are collapsing, at least in part. Very important. It is my duty and responsibility as a consultant cardiologist and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients, and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. And by the way, he does say, uh, well, he does say since 2021. So I take it back. I thought it was specific to 2021. But the point here is that what he's saying is undeniable, right? I mean, it's not even a question. We know that they claim it causes these things. So to pretend like it's not playing a part is just willfully stupid. And I think it's not even that. Again, I think it's an active cover-up because of everything that we're looking at. And just wait till we get to the the FDA BMJ article next. Now, this is just to continue to show you that it's, there's no shortage of this. So think about how crazy it is that they can go, no evidence they're causing this exact thing that this peer-reviewed science just found. How is that even possible if we don't live in a completely controlled, absolutely dishonest society at this point, or rather the controlled matrix, not all of society, right? I mean, this is there, and this, go, this is 2022, but you can go back all the way to 2021. There's plenty of I mean, this one's right there, 2021. They're all out there, all saying cardiac complications following this COVID injection. And this is a review of them, but yes, they do find plenty of cases. Not, not to mention this very clear one where they said, yes, this one specifically in 2021 was because of the injection. That's what they found. Okay, that's evidence at the very least, if not proof. And all they do is no evidence that it's happening. Okay, so they're blatantly lying to you. Here's another one. 2021, cardiovascular adverse events reported from COVID-19 vaccines. Another, This is from the WHO database, and it's the same thing. They are everywhere. Here's one that you might you already saw we reported on back then. This is from an Israeli study. New study links COVID vaccines to 25% increase in cardiac arrest. Exactly what they're pretending isn't happening for both males and females. COVID infection itself not linked to significant increase in cardiovascular complications. See my point? There's an endless amount of information that shows you, one, there's an obvious connection, and two, that COVID-19, if that's even what we're talking about, is not the, the it's, I, I, I put it like this. The spike protein is clearly, in, in my opinion, the largest part of what's causing these issues in conjunction with the mRNA and lipid nanoparticles and everything else. But what's the difference? If, you know, again, if this is what we're talking about, taking the narrative, the idea would be that this is something that has limited amounts, right? Whereas you're taking an injection that doesn't, that's been proven to continue to make spike proteins and circulate your blood. So no, whatever you want to claim that this could do, it's exponentially worse with the injection. And that's the point. That's what doctors and experts are beginning to tell you. And that's why they're all standing up now and saying, we should pause these things. They're dangerous because that's the case. COVID's not the issue if it's even really what's happening in regard to these problems. It's the obvious flooding of your blood system with the spike protein that causes all of these problems. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Now, here is Florida Health, which you've seen, and they all want to shout down because, you know, Republicans. The analysis found there is an 84% increase, and this is from Florida's Pub, uh, Department of Health. An 84% increase in relative incidence of cardiac-related death, not just myocarditis, 
cardiac-related death among males 18 to 39 within 28 days of an mRNA injection. Only mRNA. As I said from the very beginning of all this, just it was my opinion, but I think it's being proved out. And a lot of people have had similar points because I think there's an obvious reason to make this argument. It was always about the mRNA and platforms. I think J&J and AstraZeneca and all them were problematic in their own right because they still had the spike protein. Many of them were trying ver- different versions. Of the, but overall, this is the direction they wanted to take. I think that's the point. Here's another one. April 28, 2022. Increased emergency cardiovascular events among under 40 population in Israel during vaccine rollout and the third COVID wave. It's undeniable. Singapore team with cardiac arrest after vaccine gets $1,666. I mean, these are all just side peripheral points. People are questioning each one of them, saying this is what's wrong in here. But the body of evidence is undeniable. Here is, and again, just to make the, the point again, myocarditis, pericarditis after mRNA COVID-19 and vaccination on the CDC website. Okay, so it is possible. Of course, they were to argue that ridiculously low fringe, you know, one of them, whatever, you know, super rare. Provably not the case by all the peer-reviewed science they pretend they're looking at. Either way, though, if it's possible, how do you line up the idea that they dismiss any of them? It's just that obvious. September 27th, this was updated. CDC and its partners are actively monitoring reports of myocarditis and pericarditis after the injection. Now, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, or pericarditis is inflammation of the outer lining of the heart. Myocarditis and pericarditis have been reported. Now, they love to use the word reported in this case because they want it to sound like it's not confirmed. But these are cases that they have confirmed, and this is the point that you can look into this. CDC continues to recommend get vaccinated. It says the known risks of COVID-19 far outweigh the potential risks of having a rare adverse reaction to the vaccination, including the possible risk of myocarditis. That's the point. They, 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 they water it down with the terms that want you to think, well, theirs, and it's not sure. They know and have put their own documentation out, which you'll find in this discussion, that it is possible. You know this. I'm making this point overly, re- repeatedly for people that are new to this. So they're telling you, yes, it is possible. So how do you then line this up with this fact check? Of course it's possible. How can there be no evidence that the CDC says it is? It's rare, but it's possible. My God, it's so obviously being covered up. This is the most important part of this, I think. Another outstanding article. This was written today, published today by the British Medical Journal. Always do. I mean, I've come to really respect the outlet for how, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on there that I disagree with. But, but again, it's just, it's a platform. People are publishing content and being peer reviewed and so on that may align with different agendas, but they're still publishing all walks of the argument. And I think that's commendable. I mean, the British Medical Journal is the ones that champion the, the Brooke Jackson discussion and the very clear and even stood by her when they, Fact check the British Medical Journal of all things. I mean, my God, how stupid this has gotten. This is entitled FDA urge to publish follow-up studies on COVID-19 vaccine safety signals. Now, remember, the safety signals are things like the VAERS and so on. Now, the problem here is that those things only matter when you look at them. Just like the yellow card system in the UK, as I often report to you, that Dr. Rain in 2006 said on the record with The Guardian, that these signals reports are not meant to be proven. It's just about having a, a, enough signals that suggest we're having a problem and acting on those, paraphrasing. So why did it change today? Because we're watching a very dishonest thing play out here. They know that the safety signals are showing a problem. They don't want you to think about that. So they act like they're unverified, meaning we don't know, but yet not ever looking into them. Because that all makes sense, right? Well, the safety signals are overwhelming. And what they're showing you here is the FDA quietly pointed at them, which in and of itself was enough to show you that this is happening, but has yet to follow up even though they're required to, and even though that follow-up is paramount 
as they give it to young children six months and older. Sickening. The FDA has criticized has been criticized for taking more than a year to follow up on potential increases in serious adverse events, hospitalization, death, in elderly people receiving the COVID-19 injection. In July 2021, the FDA, the FDA quietly disclosed findings of a potential increase in four types of serious adverse events. Again, those are only hospitalization, death, serious, you know, long-lasting problems. These are in elderly people who had the Pfizer specifically mRNA injection. And those were the problems they were investigating, surprisingly enough, acute myocardial infarction, disseminating intravascular coagulation, immune thrombocytopenia, and pulmonary embolism. You know, no, no correlation at all. All heart pro- all heart-related issues that they don't want you thinking about. Little detail was provided, such as the magnitude of the increased potential risk, and no press release or other alert was sent to doctors or the public. Right, because we detect a problem, but we don't want you to know about that problem until we can prove that it's something that we don't want you to think about. Like the, 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 My point in saying that is that this is immediately something that should be shared. But their argument today is that we don't know for sure yet, so we don't want to scare you away from the injection. But that shows you that all they care about, more than the risk that possibly is there, is you getting the injection. Because if they cared about your safety, then information is all that would matter. Here's what we think we know. We don't know for sure. So if you think it's safe for you, go out and take it because choice, but that's not where we are anymore. They're scared of scary. They're worried about scaring you away from you doing what you're told to do. Alarming. This is not even the most important part. It says little details provided uh, in, with the, everybody. And it says the FDA promised that it would quote, share further updates and information with the public as they became available, which by the way, goes without saying and will prove in this discussion, they did not do. So right there, they lied to you or they saw something they didn't want you to see and never posted it. 18 days later, the FDA published a study planning document. This is a planning document, not the information or protocol, outlining a follow-up epidemiological study intended to investigate the matter more thoroughly. This recondite technical document. Oh, that's right. Hold on. Let me look at that one again, too. Recondite. Recondite. It uh, means little known, obtruse. Interesting. I've never seen that before. Technical document disclosed the unadjusted relative risk ratio estimates originally found for the four serious adverse events. So they basically had, it was like a precursor document disclosing the unadjusted relative risk of these problems that they talked about, which ranged, this is crazy, from 42% to 91% increased risk. That's the precursor document about what they're going to be looking into, and they're arguing 42 to 91% increased risk of exactly what we talked about. Myocardial infarction, intravascular coagulation, thrombocytopenia of 91%. That's self-explanatory. There's a reason they don't want people seeing that. But it says more than a year later, however, the status, you know, the thing they promised to do, the status and results of the follow-up study are currently unknown. I wonder why the agency has not published a press release to update why it hasn't happened or notify doctors about the risks that were already there that they were supposed to release in a week or a month or to show you the actual information. So right now they know there's a risk. They haven't defined it exactly. And they're letting people keep getting it to children. They didn't publish it in preprints or literature or anything, or even updated the vaccine's product label. They just let it keep going under the old information that we know isn't true, but they haven't defined yet or not accurate, I guess is the better way to say it. The British Medical Journal has also learned that the FDA has not publicly warned of similar signals detected in a separate observational cohort study that it conducted of the third dose, the first booster. 
right? Because this new thing is not a booster. This is an entirely new injection, and they're now conflating it with boosters. So people don't even know what we're talking about. They'll go get the new booster or just go get your booster. And they're giving you the bivalence, and nobody is even asking these questions that aren't aware of the problems. Not publicly warned. They're hiding this information. I just, I mean, it's, it's just so viscerally dishonest. Like right on the surface, the group that's supposed to be protecting you from dangers is hiding the risk from you. Quote, to keep this information from the scientific community and prevent us from analyzing it ourselves is irresponsible, says Joseph Fairman, an emergency medic medicine physician in New Orleans. That's a really nice way to say it. See, they, are, I think, are afraid of going over the top and saying it's criminal or these people are, I mean... <laughs> It's not just irresponsible. It's straight up dangerous. It presumes that these organizations are perfect and cannot benefit from independent scrutiny, he says. Again, that's the main thing we were just talking about. I'll show you again the point of why I'll actually, I'll, that's, I'll, I'll talk about it right now and come back. I don't want to forget. Make sure I come back to this. The point is that they're acting like, well, we're so perfect and we already know, we already did our work. So it's, there's no need for independent scrutiny. Does that sound familiar? It should, because we just talked about this in regard to Scotland ruling out, which is not even what happened, neonatal sp death, uh, de uh, spikes, neonatal deaths, and the increase there. As you remember, it says experts stress that there was no plausible link between the unusually high levels of mortality among newborns this year to justify investigating it. Even though that's obviously why people are screaming, look at the, the there, there's an unprecedented spike in neonatal death. And there's no plausible link between the thing that you just argued has these kind of issues and you're giving it to six month olds. And that's, there's no plausible reason to investigate the possible link. That's crazy. And it gets even worse if you haven't seen this. Public Health Scotland said its consultants had given careful consideration to the potential benefits and harms of carrying out the investigation, not finding out whether it killed kids, but the, the benefits and harms of investigating whether 39 infants died, but concluded against the investigation because it was not possible to identify a scenario that would have resulted in change to policy. Given that vaccination policy was already appropriately informed by good quality population level evidence. Like, same point. So we're already perfect. We already did our job. So to look into this won't do anything. So we're not going to do it. Therefore, ruled out. And remember, I showed you a, a woman who worked for the Imperial College of London on Twitter who argued point blank that they investigated this and proved that there was no link. Because apparently she read the title and is very well informed. My God. In a statement, the Public Health of Scotland added that there was also a risk that identifying the vaccination status of mothers, even at the aggregate level, would result in harm to them. Right, but it's okay to force you to divulge your vaccination status because you're a dirty anti-vaxxer. But for the pregnant women, you see, it's just, it's, there's no logic to it. But furthermore, quote, the outcomes of such analysis, whilst being uninformative for public health decision making, had the potential to be used to harm vaccine confidence. Again, so it's, it's okay to allow children to possibly die because it might harm vaccine confidence. So we're not even going to look into it. That's criminal. I don't even, I, there's no better word for it. And they deserve accountability. That's the same point. It presumes Joseph Fairman, uh, the uh, emergency medicine physician of New Orleans, points out that these organizations are perfect and cannot be benefiting from any independent scrutiny. My God. Now, he recently carried out a, a reanalysis of serious adverse events in Pfizer Moderna's randomized trials. That's why he seems to know what's going on. Quote, the fact that the FDA found four safety signals 
means that they should have followed up on the results. And I don't understand why we haven't had any more information since then. I, I, it's pretty self-explanatory. They're committing an incredible, they are hiding information. It has been over a year, says Tracy Hogue, epidemiologist and physician currently conducting COVID-19 vaccine research. Obviously, they're hiding this stuff because they showed you there was a risk and they have yet to really flesh it out. In 2022, details regarding the results of a separate third safety study were disclosed inside another study protocol for evaluating boosters. And this is how they play this game. Buried within a protocol, the FDA stated very quietly where most won't notice it, quote, in a cohort study of the third dose safety in the Medicare population where historical controls were used, we detected a safety signal risk for immune thrombocytopenia. Nobody pay attention to this, though. Incident rate ratio, 1.66 confidential or confidence interval, and acute myocardial infarction among people with prior COVID-19 diagnosis, as well as an increased risk of Bell's palsy and pulmonary embolism in general. It's amazing, right? It's like, if there was any honesty in the corporate media, this would be talked about in Fox and CNN, but it's, it's published in 2022. You have a general increase in pulmonary embolism and Bell's palsy quietly plugged plugged into the middle of this cohort document again the fda has made no public statements regarding the results quote it's disturbing that they have not released any of these data if the fda is stating publicly that they're collecting it then they should be publicly reporting it in fact they're obligated to do so they shouldn't be burying the results in protocols as they've done it's sneaky said Freeman. these are experts guys they know all the processes you're supposed to go what they're doing right there is simply malicious or rather nefarious they're hiding it because they want to be able to claim they put it out publicly but they're not showing people that that's not informed consent quote these protocols say that they're looking into these data further but i'd like to know the results now it's been long enough they need to view this from a public health perspective of course you know god forbid the federal drug administration should perceive this that's all they do it's not like they're looking I understand why these people on the record are giving them outs, but my God, it's not a say. That's all they do is look at it from a public health perspective. And what they're doing is hiding that from a public health perspective because their perspective is no longer about public health. They need to consider, he says, a person's right to be to informed consent. As physicians, well, they've never even mentioned antibody-dependent enhancement, despite the peer-reviewed study in 2020 that said that it was an absolute, that it had to, otherwise we didn't meet informed consent. So they've never met informed consent. As physicians, we recommend medical therapies, and we need to explain the full risks and benefits to the patient. This is not happening. Exactly. And that's why they're still teetering on the emergency use authorization part of this, because they don't want to. They want to play the game of the, the benefits and risks teeter-totter, acting like they don't need to know the full risk because we don't need that. We don't know. We're still sussing this out and risking and rushing for your safety. But it says Dick... Uh, Bajil, physician epidemiologist in Netherlands, says, quote, the FDA managed to determine the efficacy of the vaccines in a short period of time. Right. We all saw that. As they said they did. But they have not analyzed the pharmacovigilance data with the same speed. Wouldn't you think they'd care to speed through evaluating the risks to children as fast as they rush through repeating what Pfizer told them the efficacy was? Right. If they found signals in July 2021, which they did, they should have been analyzed and published within months. This is a choice, guys. They are choosing to keep this from your view. Under other studies, it lists other research groups, including Freeman's, have produced results that are compatible with the FDA surveillance data. So they're independently proving that that is a gigantic risk. 
An observational study from these three Nordic countries, Denmark, Finland, and Norway, found statistically significant increases in thromboembolic and thrombocytopenic outcomes following both Pfizer and Moderna mRNA injections. What's, quote, what stood out to me with the mRNA vaccines was the risk ratios of intracranial hemorrhage for Pfizer-Moderna. No big deal, though. Give it, give it to your six-month-old, you know, six-month-old, right? Because, you know, what's a little intracranial hemorrhage for a baby? No big deal, right? I'm sure it clears right up. This ridiculous argument that the, it's just a little myocarditis. These people are mad. Quote, the safety signal seems to be gathering around cardiovascular and cerebrovascular events. Exactly. Things to do with circulation and our larger organs. And these are the same signals that appear to be popping up in the FDA surveillance data. Right. Because that's what's happening. According to Stable Ben, the underlying problem. Now, my point, these are all highly regarded experts, high level experts in universities and research groups. And they're all saying the same thing. According to Stephen Bell, the underlying problem with documenting adverse events is that the COVID-19 vaccines, quote, were not tested properly. Again, quote, the phase three trials offered vaccines to the control groups just a few months after the randomization. And we called it out then. So it doesn't allow for assessment of the long term adverse events yet. We don't know, as their documentation shows you, we don't know long term effects. And what they did there is guarantee there was no control group within their study. But you know who is the control group? All of you out there that have never touched that garbage. And that's one of the reasons I argue they're so desperate to hide that. But it says myocarditis infarction and thrombosis are events that occur often in the elderly. And so doctors are less likely to report them as potentially linked to the injection. That's one thing to consider, right? The older person in, in a nursing home has a heart attack. Well, they're not even going to think, think about whether it could be. Unlike vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, which is so dramatic and rare and also affected younger age groups, so it was easier to pick up. The problem, though, is what they're saying there is even for elderly that have these problems. They're rare across the board. So it's it's obvious this is something that even for elderly is, is unprecedented, exponentially higher than we've seen ever before. Earlier this year, the CDC admitted to withholding deliberately critical data on boosters and hospital admissions. Christian Norland, CDC spokesperson, told the New York Times that the agency had been slow to release data to the public on breakthrough infections, quote, because they might be misinterpreted as the vaccine being ineffective. So you hide the truth because you argue we're too stupid to interpret what you want us to interpret. That's what's happening, whether they say it or not. They're not necessarily the logic behind it, but that they're hiding the information because it shows you a problem. And they're going to argue that they're all vaccine hesitancy or whatever else. That's what the FDA is doing. That's what the CDC got caught doing. How do you pretend that's honest in any way? That That is cornered in the idea of these things are safe and effective and the best things in sliced bread. Therefore, anything that we might show you that's negative shouldn't be shown because all it's going to do is scare you away. And you don't understand. So you are truly hiding the risks and they know that. They don't want you to see what's happening here. And you know what? It does show you they're ineffective. And that's the reality. That's what everyone's beginning to understand. That's why nobody's touching the booster by and large. In addition, CDC Director Walensky acknowledged, who, by the way, just got sick for the 50,000th time, that the agency has not concluded, conducted a disproportionately disproportionality analysis that the agency has indicated it would conduct back in 2021 to analyze spontaneous adverse event reports. There you go again, Right. So making promises to follow up on risks and then not doing that. Then continuing to go forward and scream safe and effective and act like we're conspiracy theorists, like Sean Penn says, because we're disconnected from common sense. 
right? What do you think, Sean Penn? You think this stuff is valid concerns? Did you even know this stuff is here? Are you even reading the peer-reviewed research? No, I promise you that's not happening because you can't be that stupid to read what they're telling you is happening and then walk away acting like we're dumb for not for asking questions. Think about how crazy that is. Lies for your safety. But it says, when asked about his thoughts on Walensky's admission, Dr. Dr. Frieden says, I don't know what the reality is. I can't comment. That's a political answer. So when she admits we withheld data as he's at a point right now, he's the one saying FDA is required to release this and they should. He damn well knows at the same point there. She's required to do so. And by not doing so, whatever the reason is not only against what her mandate is as is her position, but I argue it's criminal, guys. Straight up. What you're doing is hurting people. But it says one of the great tragedies of this pandemic is likely to be the loss of confidence in public health authorities. No. As I said, I mentioned earlier before, I want to add to that point. That's not a tragedy. That's a wild success. Now, I'm not arguing that it can't be in, in, in certain ways problematic, that somebody might not take something they might otherwise should have taken because of this. That's certainly possible. But guess what, guys? You should have never been trusting these people. The idea that we're supposed to trust your government or trust your president or trust an institute, it's stupid. It's, it's willfully stupid historically shown to be stupid these people at least are capable of lying as we just saw or how about when these people are no longer in power and the bad guy side of the paradigm is in power Uh uh-oh well it's the same point right you don't trust them then so why do you trust them ever question that's the reality so here we are at a point when i'm like thank god people are finally starting to go i'm not going to blindly trust what the cdc says that's a win now it should be tempered to be well we should consider what they're saying right but just question it always. But they're so terrified of that that they're trying to act like that was their one big regret. Well, we tried to do what we thought was right for you and you're too stupid to see it. And so all we did was lose confidence in our institutions. Yeah, that's what's happening. The Pfizer and Moderna clinical trial reanalysis by Freeman and colleagues indicated the mRNA vaccines were associated with an additional serious adverse event for every 800 people. Do the math on that, guys. An additional, not just one per 800, but an additional serious adverse event for every 800 people. So even if it was one in 800, do you realize how dramatically more risk that is than what you claim COVID-19, even at the peak, is capable of doing? Based on their numbers, you could, I'm swear, you could even point out the, in, the lies from Imperial College of London. And I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I would argue that risk is higher. Think about how crazy that is. And this is why they're not following up. One in 800, serious adverse. That's death, hospitalization, disability. One in 800. But go ahead and give it to your six-month-old. Far more than one in the, the argument they made and still do, the one to two for every million. Quite a bit different, wouldn't you say? One in 800 versus two in every million. Freeman says he and his colleagues asked the FDA to warn the public based on their reanalysis and replicate their study. Of course, that hasn't happened because, you know, the danger is okay as long as we pretend it's not there. As long as we act like we're too stupid to see it, then there's no danger, right? Vayers is unconfirmed. La, 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 la. We won't look at it. Quote, it seems to me, he says, the doctors have a much higher tolerance for COVID vaccine side effects because there's been this sense that if you don't take the vaccine, you die. Obviously, that is completely the wrong way to think about it. Now, I don't even say the wrong way to think about it. This is step and ban again. It's not even the wrong way to think about it. It's simply not true. 
See, this is, and I agree with that though. They've been set up. Remember when you ask people politically, like whether you think this, you know, the hospitalization rate, they're like 90% of people go to the hospital. It's like, you, you can't, that's not even what they're reporting. It's, and remember the, and actually I have that up here for to go forward. I'll come back to it. This is just the, the one point, but you read the entire breakdown. It is dramatically less than the flu for almost everybody. Almost everybody. This is for those age zero to 69, which again is 94% of the population. The infection fatality rate was 0.095. That is way less than the flu. That's zero to 60. That's zero to 70. So for 70.3 billion people on the planet, the risk was 99.905. Or excuse me, the survival rate was 99.905. Think about, it's just, it's painful to watch how this plays out. And that's where we are right now, where they're not just that it's, I mean, there are still doctors out there that are, they're buying the idea that if you don't take this injection, that you're basically going to die or that you're at dramatic risk. And it's just not the case. You're at higher risk from this dangerous injection by far than you are from whatever they claim COVID is. Whether you think it's just because of now, I argue it's from the very beginning. And they're still trying to censor people based on that exact argument, despite the evidence being proven out. And I have maintained this stance. I wasn't saying this in the beginning because I couldn't, I couldn't back that up. I was simply going, this seems problematic and here's reasons why. And I have maintained this skepticism and continued to be ahead of this story from the very beginning, as a lot of us have. That's important to understand. Now, again, understanding the dramatically low risk. And guys, this, is a, this was a Stanford professor, Ioannidis study, breaking down the COVID risk as it is right now. So that risk is non-existent for most people. If you're, if you're not worried about the flu, then you shouldn't be worried about this. But I argue it's even less than that when you break add in a lot of other things. But regardless, with the dramatically low risk of COVID-19, if that's even what's happening, here is Eric Fengelding coming in again saying the, immuno, the immunocompromising effects of COVID-19 infections scares the hell out of me. Right, just trying to get people hyped up with fear again. So this thing's less dangerous than the flu. It scares the hell out of him. Why? Because it destroys your immune system. Didn't you know that? He says, you scared the hell out of each of us. If more people knew what it does to wreck our immune system. Ah, no, not the injection. No, no, no. Not the injection that's had countless peer-reviewed studies that have shown. And Pfizer and Moderna's own documentation that shows that it destroys your immune system. It literally destroys, it creates negative efficacy within three months. It happens within the first week. It is hurting your immune system. And there's been endless amounts of studies, right? But all he could point at is an older stuff. Well, look, this is why COVID-19 does that, right? This is why the TV gives you heart attacks. Let's blame everything everywhere except on the obvious problem. Now, here's the interesting point to make. Let's just even argue from the, again, taking the from within the narrative, the idea that COVID-19 is present, okay? Not to say that we should all buy that idea, but just let's say it's there, okay? Remember, that's the spike protein. And it's the same argument I made from before. If you're talking, if the spike protein is dangerous, well, then something that mass produces them and spins it around your bloodstream is a hell of a lot more dangerous than something that has a limited amount, right? That's obvious. No brainer. So when he points at this, we can even say, well, okay, maybe that spike protein does affect your immune system. And here's studies they point at. This is, this is from July, 2020. AIDS and COVID-19 are two diseases that separated by a common, uh, se- that se- diseases separated by a common lymphocytopenia. Those that are paying attention may remember that, and we'll get to it in a second. Now, this just goes into argue that it has the effects that might be may be made that might make sense if you understand that the spike protein is cytotoxic and what it might cause. 
the interesting overlap for another show is why this lumps these together and the overlap of HIV. The the uh, uh, I'm trying to say this the right way. I always say adenoviruses. It's the adenoviruses, I guess. That's how Dr. McCola pronounces it. But the overlap there and why those were argued to be a problem overlap with HIV right in the beginning. Remember, they said these specific kinds, the 85 were potentially increase your risk of HIV. And those were ones that were being used. AstraZeneca, I believe, had that that same use. And then we're, there was other ones being tested. And that's interesting. I just think there's an overlap. And it always has been in regard to the, the, what we're calling HIV, essentially, which is really just immunodeficiency virus, which ultimately is, you could argue, is you know vaccine-induced, if you want to argue this. Not in this 2020 study, but going forward. But regardless, my point here is not that story. That's for another conversation, which I'll probably have, is that if they're claiming COVID-19 causes lymphocytopenia, I mean, I would even argue if that is what's happening, that that makes sense to a degree. But the real question is why. Oh, and oh, by the way, this was another study that was in conjunction with this. Also from 2020, SARS-CoV-2 infects T lymphocytes through its spike protein mediated membrane. Okay, this makes my point more clear. So if it's the spike protein that's doing that, which is what they're arguing here, and that's what they're discussing about the lymphocytopenia, well, then why wouldn't the injection that causes far more spike proteins be more dangerous? It, it is, and that's the point. So here he is saying, look at this, look at this, when, but, but, but you know, plugging his ears and stomping his feet when it comes to what's happening after the injection. Now, remember, you might remember this because we've talked about it from the great Swiss policy research platform, which is doing great work. And this is, goes all the way back to when they first talked about COVID vaccines and the overlap of cancer. Now, the reason the cancer overlap is because lymphocytopenia is it has a very strong overlap with with cancers specifically the one we'll talk about is the the lymphopenia which is specifically the same problem but which is completely overlapped with a, a cancer point but we'll come back to it the point is that here is there's multiple studies about this so again the point is that Finkeldang is willing to go look at this one study from 2020 what about the numerous peer reviewed studies that have made this argument since then <laughs> nobody cares about those apparently it has been shown that the 50% of vaccinees people who get the injection and do they end up with a, a potentially temporary or potentially not because they didn't see when it ended immune suppression or immune dysregulation, both. But immune dysregulation is lymphocytopenia, right? So, again, willful ignorance to the reality that the injections have this overlap and are far more obviously damaging. But we'll point at the one that's less because we want you to think it's this COVID's dangerous. Keep scaring about keep being scared about COVID. Well. There's lots of research. This goes to August 2022. Absolute lymphocyte count after COVID-19 vaccination is associated with vaccine-induced hypermetabolic lymph nodes on, on in focus in breast cancer. And there's the cancer overlap. Same with here. Studies investigates the cause of lymphopenia as seen in COVID-19 patients. And this is in, in, in regard to the idea that it is the overlap because of the spike protein. But the point, as I'm going to play this clip for you, this is what Dr. Bakhti was telling you right in the beginning. And the idea here, guys, is that this is a very real problem that what's happening is it's dysregulating your immune system. And this, and this is just one focal point of lymphocytopenia just because Fangle Dang wants to make this argument. But the reality is that overall there's an end. There's so many discussions and, and peer reviewed studies and experts standing up and pointing out that this is destroying your immune system. And again, even Pfizer's own documentation. I might as well grab that too, since I'm including it. In this study, and this is Ezra Vance tweet that I grabbed it from, it shows you that the Omicron 
or Delta, either one for either Pfizer or Moderna, ends up nev- either negative 76% or negative 30 That means you're either 40% more likely or almost 80% more likely to get sick in after three months of either injection. That's not the injection failing. That is your immune system collapsing. And that's what they've proven over and over with these documents. So to come back to his tweet or his, his comments, I want to let you listen to what Dr. Bakhti was saying all the way back then. All gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result. Now, real quick, gene-based, that's mRNA, just so that's clear. All gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15 in the last four days. The number has been increased to 70 individuals who died after vaccination. These were people who died at home, at work, in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. There's no question now anymore about what is going on. And the answer is in the organs of these people. In 90%, he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the tissues. And that's the point, right? And that's what we're seeing. And so that is provable all the way back then. Peer-reviewed science, their own research, the idea that this is being caused by the injection. And all he can do is double down on the idea of, of this. I mean, it's, it's willful. Like, at the very least, you have to be honest about the fact that that is equally problematic. But nope, because I argue they're either invested in the lie for one reason or another, or they're not good at their job. And either way, you shouldn't be listening to them. Now, this is why I argue we're at a point where people are pushing back. It's so painfully obvious that everybody's concerned about something, some part of this. People are slowing down. They're not taking the new, the new shot. The Swiss are now about to destroy 9 million expired Moderna shots, right? And th- th- nobody's taking this stuff. And, and even the new thing, right? And yet your governments are still paying for it, which means you're still paying for it, which shows you how broken that whole process was. But overall, this is what's where it's going. And I think this is very telling. This is introducing, as it says, a naked self-amplifying RNA vaccine. Now, just like we've been telling you from the very beginning, those of you that have been with, been with us from the beginning, at least the COVID discussion, Remember our talks about the self-amplifying vaccine like in 2020, 2021, so far ahead of this story. It's only just now beginning to be pushed into the discussion. I promise you this is going to be a more a larger discussion as the time goes forward because they frame this as the next step. Remember what I said before? And the research shows you self-amplifying RNA injections were the first thing, or rather self-amplifying RNA was the first thing they discovered. And the first injection process was that they were self-amplifying injections. That's, and this is all discussed in their documentation. So why then did they not, why did they go the other way? And now framing this as step two, that's very suspicious to me. It speaks, to, I, I think it's because either this is what's already, I, mean, I, I could theorize all day long. I think, remember, Pfizer's own injection was listed as self-amplifying when this first started. And I think that's what's happening. I mean, we'll get into what this is. As I understand it, it means at the very least it continues to produce this or more so than it does now, which is what seems to be happening, the spike protein. Either way, we are watching this collapse. We're watching their failed efforts hurt people. And as always, whether it's monkeypox mRNA or flu mRNA, they're just standing on this broken agenda and acting like we succeeded and going to the next step. And by the way, that's the st- that they're standing on the 
mRNA platform pump out genetic code within 100 days kind of nonsense. And that's what they're talking about for the new biosecurity state direction, right? But that's the problem is that the mRNA platform garbage is what's killing people right now. And yet they're acting like that's the new step and they're never looking back. It's wild. Now, this is what they're calling this is a controllable self-replicating. That's very telling to me. Maybe we're dealing with the uncontrollable version, but it's a second generation of COVID vaccines. See, that's my point. This is the second generation of COVID-19 mRNA vaccines is making its way to the scene. Right. We're already there. By the way, I would clearly argue that the bivalent would be in a second share. But they're, what they're talking about is the different kind of mRNA platform direction. And that's what this is all really about. So as we're watching this fail and kill people, they're going, well, that succeeded so well that we're rolling out part two. <laughs> Scary. Common to many of them is the use of self-amplifying RNA technology, which maximizes antigen expression. Now, researchers have developed a self-amplifying RNA vaccine with a number of exciting new characteristics. First, it doesn't require any of the nucleobase modifications that con- conventional mRNA vaccines depend on for improved stability. Second, it uses simply uses what they call naked RNA and injected directly without a protective lipid nanoparticle. Isn't that strange? Because that was the biggest success in history. The lipid nanoparticle game. And now they're like, oh, but it's dangerous. So we, we got rid of that. Isn't it funny how they'll now, like they'll tell you, oh, there's problems. Except when you pointed at that while it was happening, you were crazy for questioning the biggest scientific advancement in history. You'll, you can read this for yourself. They, they argue that there's a problem there for a lot of these things. And there are a lot of things we pointed out already. So they only want you to see the problem once they're giving you the next step always how this works. Third, the vaccine is designed to be administered into the outer layer of the skin, the dermis, for improved cellular immunity. Except that's the same problem with regard to mucosal immunity that they seemingly don't care about. And fourth, it has been optimized to suit the temperature range of the surface of the body rather than the core of the body. Odd. Now, of course, it still talks, it's still about the spike protein. So it just doesn't even matter. We are, this is walking blind into a I don't even know. Use the analogy you'd like. This is dangerous across the board. Take advantage of our cells' own protein-making machinery to produce SARS-CoV-2 proteins in-house. It's the same. That's the that's the mRNA vaccine. We already know that. That's what they're doing right now, and they're totally not changing your body or your DNA, except it literally is, and the science has shown that. And this is literally training your body how to make the thing that's killing you. But it says self-amplifying mRNA technology further optimizes this process where conventional mRNA vaccines only include the genetic information for the antigen protein, self-amplifying RNA vaccines include a sequence of alpha virus RNA that encodes four non-structural proteins. It's dramatically going off into the wild. Like this is like, great, more virus RNA that we don't know is going to work or be helpful or, you know, everything about this screams dangerous to me. These non-structural proteins come together once in the cell to form an enzyme called RNA replicase. Think of this as a genetic photocopier. The RNA replicase makes many copies of the target mRNA, each of which can then go on to be translated into the antigen. Sounds lovely. Now understand that I don't know why, just to go a little bit off the, you know, to go off the, the conversation here. There's a lot of concern about what's already in these. And there's rightly so concern about all sorts of things that could be nanotechnology, smart dust. I mean, who knows? I don't know why we think that's crazy when they've done exactly these kind of things before. Like, especially when you get back into what was the peak technology at the time, you know, spying stuff or even going back to bio stuff or testing Operation Sea Spray, biological agents on people. That's because they're testing what they thought was the current level of stuff. That's where they are now. They're testing this on you. 
That's always how this goes. But it goes on to say these non-structural proteins come together. Uh, may, uh, that, oh, I, I just read that. Okay, so next it says, engineering functional lipid nanoparticles is no easy task. Yeah, we're seeing that today. With many promising candidates ultimately falling short during in vitro testing. Yeah, right. So we're talking about lipid nanoparticles, the thing they're not going to do in this version because it doesn't work apparently, or at least in some cases. Added to this is the fact that manufacturing reliably high quality lipid nanoparticles and the raw materials from which they are made is a difficult process and can act as a limiting factor in the vaccine production. So it's hard to produce high quality lipid nanoparticles. Maybe that's why they're hurting people. I don't know. It's interesting that they're kind of poo-pooing on. They go, well, it's problematic for whether production or just whether the quality lacks, which is interesting to get into a discussion we just had about the mRNA itself having problems in different locations. Having it's, It's very interesting how this seems to be admitting that there are problems with this technology that they're now correcting, even though they didn't tell you there are problems when they were giving it to your six month old, right? But it goes on to say, by using RNA derived from an alpha virus, a mono et al. avoid the need for lipid nanoparticles or nucleobase modifications, and in doing so, bypass the above-mentioned manufacturing bottlenecks. Okay, so we're going to add another RNA from a different virus alongside these things and, and hope that that's, I mean, this is not just playing God, like we're at a point now where they are, we're watching the experiment play out in the population now, and it's obviously hurting people. Now they, I, I think we are at, we are watching experiments play out on the population. Now I don't know why they don't just do, maybe I do know why I was going to say, I don't know why they do massive trials because I don't think people trust those anymore, like to be involved with them. Either way, this, I promise you, if it gets goes forward, which I know it will, will be done in a very rapid fashion, and it won't be a two, three-year study to find out whether it's safe like they always used to say we need to. And that's the point. So we won't really find out what this alpha virus RNA is doing until we find out, like we're finding out now, what's happening with the old ones, or current. Now, the alpha virus RNA takes on a functional role similar to that of the lipid nanoparticles, shielding the target mRNA from degradation and helping it to get into our cells. Even if initial uptake is lower, Because of the lack of lipid nanoparticle, this is made up for by self-amplifying mechanism of the alpha RNA. And that's my point about what these things are doing. Essentially, what they're telling you there is that it's it's okay, though, because even if there's a lack of uptake, it's making more of this, right? To test whether controllable self-amplifying RNA works as intended in practice, the group of researchers exposed mice to an intradermal injection encoding a bioluminescent luciferase enzyme. Of course, you know, eight mice, and that's all we need. That's, that's the, the, the direction today. The luciferase enzyme produces light when exposed to luciferin, allowing researchers to track its presence in the body over time. Now, I know there's a huge conversation about this right now. We, we tackled this right in the beginning when they equally misinterpreted the information right in the beginning to say that luciferase was in the injection, but it was list, simply listed in the document. Now, look, I'm not going to argue it couldn't be. God knows what these people are doing, and it's certainly possible that they would put it in there to be able to, I guess, find out if you've taken it. But as far as I understand it, it doesn't, it's not forever. It, it dissipates. So that wouldn't even make sense. So I, regardless, it doesn't have to make sense when it's a partisan argument. But I'm still concerned about it. There's reasons to ask these questions. I don't think it's crazy to ask this question. But it's interesting to see that there's this big, in the beginning, it was, this is in the Pfizer documentation. And here's what, and it turned out that this was something they use, as I did my research on it. Do It's like with cancer patients, when you put something inside them and you use the machine to look for the luminescence to find out where it went and how it's working, to find out if there's blockages in your arteries and so on, right? 
in this case, so they're telling us, they use this to be able to find out if it did, in fact, do what it's supposed to. And the idea is that they then go on to argue that it didn't express. Uh, the bottom line is it's not something that's meant to be or they're stating is in the injection. It was added to be able to test this. So just, you know, there's a lot of this circulating around, people showing the, the tests glowing and so on. And I'm interested by it. I just haven't seen enough to report it in regard to whether it's actually the case. I still think that the evidence shows that this is just a thing they use and they always have long before COVID. And the name is interesting, but, you know, the name Lucifer is the light bringer. So it makes sense that it would be about light and you get it. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's not something to it, but I just get frustrated when people connect dots that aren't there because it aligns with what they already think is happening. And that's what they want from you. They want to be able to dismiss you. But the expression of luciferase driven by the mRNA lasted about a week. And, and that's my point, by the way. So the idea that it would be inserted in this to be able to test whether or not you had it. As far as I understand how this stuff works, it doesn't stick around forever. So that wouldn't make sense. But the expression of luciferase driven by the controllable self-amplifying RNA carried on for another three weeks. So it's interesting. So there's an add to that that whether or not this new thing could be done in a way that would allow that to go on forever. And then maybe there is something to it. Or maybe that's what's happening now. You see my point? There's questions to ask. We should prove them before we make those allegations, though. Reaching almost a month of continuous expression. So on top of the extended duration, the controllable self-amplifying RNA injection yielded 10 to 100-fold higher expression levels than the mRNA injection. That's the main point for me. Okay, they are, it's whatever it's doing, it's doing it much more and longer than what the other ones were. Why that is better when you're talking spike protein is, is it's, it's not, <laughs> It's simply not. This sounds wildly more dangerous to me. And maybe these are people standing on this because they still think the other thing was safe. Maybe they don't know that. I, or maybe they know it's going to hurt you and that's why they're doing it. I don't know. Either way, all the evidence in front of us shows you that this, as far as I understand it, it would be exponentially more damaging. Let alone whether the mRNA itself is dangerous, which I believe that it is in the way that it's being used. Now, finally down here, it says, given that controllable, which I don't even know if that's the case, self-amplifying technology or CSARNA is plug and play system. There you go. It can be used to express any number of viral proteins as antigens. That's why this is being used because they're, they're going to use this for the biosecurity direction that Biden just explained that we're going to make injections in a hundred days after we get told something's happening, which is ridiculous, dangerous, because all they're going to do is take the genetic information and add it to what they claim is a viable platform that's already been tested for safety. And that doesn't make sense as we're watching play out right now in front of us. Now, not that the, the, the logic doesn't make sense, but it's not the way this is working. We're, we're talking about a situation where it's not safe and it hasn't been proven to be. They're standing on, again, like House of Cards is collapsing and acting like it's not. We already watched how it played out with the Chinese genetic code from the beginning. That's what this was always about. It says, we will look at the results of using controllable, self-amplifying RNA technology in combination with mRNA encoding the receptor binding domain of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. How much more clear does it need to be? Everything that's happening with this injection is more with that. Lasts longer, makes more. That's, I mean, it's what, it's, I've gone over this in the past. But there's your future. While we're watching what's happening, that's what they're doing. So this is not over. They're just going to wait. And that's my point about well, what if the GIS gets rolled out under a new Republican administration? What happens then? I guess we'll have to wait and see. And hopefully people are paying attention. Now, finally, this is Jessica Rose, PhD, discussing the blood overlap. Now, I wanted to play this just because I think it's very, very telling about how 
I mean, I'll just let you listen to it for yourself. It's just we're not measuring the amount of spike protein in the blood of people who are being transfused who have been injected. It's like the injection itself. It's Russian roulette. And I just wanted to include that because that's, that is obviously the problem here because we're talking about spike protein. They're not testing for whether this blood is, is either with mRNA or spike protein. And that's important, as she says in the clip. If you wanted non-HIV uh, uh, tainted blood, then you should be able to get that. Like you can, Whether she's referencing what's happening today or going back to the AIDS p- discussion and how that was a problem that did happen even though they were told it wasn't a problem, right? So this is the idea. We're in a part right now where we know, as I've even got the Red Cross on the record in this show, as I played even in a recent show, or this was the recent show, Vax Red Cross blood donations, where they're caught on the record, admitting that the antibodies produced weren't strong enough. And that's what they said on the record for the news broadcast and everything else, except the fact checks say otherwise. But here today is the Red Cross saying we don't label them containing vaccinated or unvaccinated. Why? Because it doesn't enter the bloodstream. But we know that's not true. The science has proven that's not true, and they don't even talk about it anymore. But this was on September 13th. All the peer-reviewed science proving that has happened long before that, and the Red Cross doesn't care or doesn't know. So I think it's alarming to realize that there's a tainted blood system here that has spike proteins that's mixing together that nobody seems to talk about. And it's hurting people. And now we're stepping up to a point where it's going to be amplified even more. Now, the reality, though, is that they are losing so much control. I mean, This is just insulting to your intelligence. Fears of U.S. twindemic of flu, RSV, grow with or without COVID. So if it's so meaningless, then it's like, well, whether it's here or not, we can problem. So it seems like it's irrelevant, which I think is the point. They're just, they're just trying to very clumsily transition to, well, we're always in danger, flu and, and RSV and AIDS and climate change and, and just, just quietly forget about COVID because you guys don't buy it anymore. So let's just skip over into something else. The twindemic of the RSV flu pandemic. I mean, my God, they, they have lost control. And the reality here is that... I, We've always had RSV and flu and these different things happening. Now, obviously, I think they're getting worse because of all that they've done to people. They're exploding with infections all over the place because of what they've taken and the mask they're wearing. It's very clear. But my point here is to show you that they're just grasping at straws. Whether it's here or not, you're all going to die. Take the flu shot. It's just madness. Now, as I said here, this is what desperation looks like. (laughs) <laughs> I genuinely think that fear mongering desperation. Be scared, please. But um, the, again, I'll, this, I'll, I'll just play this first part of it. And as Link says, take the injections or else. This, pro- this is the province in Canada asking if it needs to amp up boosting new injections. Or we might have to bring back restrictions. At this Toronto vaccination clinic, people are preparing for a potential surge in COVID-19. So guess it. They're just over it. Um, but like the science is there. The science leading to pleas like this one from Canada's top doctor. Keep your COVID-19 vaccinations up to date. Because she says the alternative could be a possible return to restrictions. Right, right. So carrot and stick, right? Do what you're told or you're going to be put back on lockdown. You know, the thing that killed everybody and didn't work at all, but we're going to do it because we're punishing you for not doing what we told you you have to, even though it's killing people also, right? And right, somebody says in the chat, I agree. Flu, RSV, COVID, how to say the same thing three times in a row, right? I agree with that. It's, or at the very least, in many cases, if not entirely, that they're being called that. But this is what's happening. So we're talking about an injection that's not helping, that's dramatically hurting people for something that's dramatically less dangerous than the flu. And yet here we are. 
be up to date, which back in the day was a conspiracy theory, right? That it was going to be there forever, that the up-to-date boosters around forever. All they're doing is saying, do this or you're going to go back on lockdown. And that's the reality. But guess what? It's still happening. This Navy veteran showed up for a jury duty, had nothing to do with this. The judge sent him to jail for not wearing a mask, even though he said he wasn't able to. A Navy veteran. This is this this judge should lose their job for something like this. This is this is like putting someone in jail for not wearing the shirt you're liking. You know, that's how arbitrary and ridiculous this is, especially what we know about the information. As it says down here, Hans said he asked the, asked uh, Gilchrist if he could call his son who was at home, but the judge refused him. I never thought this could happen in this country, he said. So he sent him to jail without being able to call anybody when he went to they, we went there for jury duty. So how, they're not even going to know what happened to him. This is what an authoritarian government looks like. And as Jay Bhattacharya points out, Judge Charles Gilchrist sends a juror to jail for not wearing a mask. Didn't even let him call his son. The depth of inhumane action in the name of infection control has no bottom. Anti-science. But to end on some good notes, there are good things happening. Raheem J. Kasim points out, New York Supreme Court orders reinstatement of fired unvaccinated staff with back pay. Says, quote, being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from contracting or transmitting COVID-19, adding that mandates were about compliance. Thank God. But I guarantee it's going to be challenged. I guarantee they're going to push back and they may win. So it's not over. But it's good to see that in some level there are people within the system that whether you want to call them honest or just politically aligned with one side that sees this as a benefit, which is you have to consider that as a possibility. Either way, I agree this is the way it should be going. So thank God that people are standing up for this. Then finally, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, who we just pointed out before, speaking in Edmonton, says that she is changing the human rights code this fall and making it illegal to discriminate based on vaccination status, which is really funny to me because it already is like that internationally and so on. There's like we talked about the human rights and the bioethics. It's always been that way. It's funny that you have just these you know Trudeau type characters that think they can just do whatever they want with a pen, like same with Trump and, and Biden. I'm glad that she's making the statement because this is where we need to be right now. And I agree with it. This is important. One of the things that we'll be coming through with in the fall as well is a change to the Human Rights Code to make it um, illegal to discriminate against anyone on the basis of their COVID vaccination status. Now, I recognize that there are still some organizations and some businesses in Alberta that is doing that. And I just want to sort of give you fair warning that we are going to be making a a serious pivot in that regard. And I would just ask if you would work with us to align your policies with the direction that we want to go in Alberta, because we want to send the message to the community and to the world community and to the investment markets that this is a place that is open for business, that this is a place that believes in freedom. This is a place that believes in free enterprise, and this is a place where we're not going to be making arbitrary decisions that are going to disproportionately impact the small and medium businesses in this province. Now, whether she means it or not, I don't know. But I'm very, very happy to hear that people in power, whatever people in political positions, are saying that in some cases. But, I mean, it's quite the contrast between Trudeau and plenty of other people in Canada that are aggressively pushing back on on what's on what she's talking about there but it is there and i think what's important is whether or not she means that and or just sees it as a politically advantageous move it means the same thing it means that people agree with her right i mean people by and large want that that's what the protests are about and so they're going to see these politicians rise up and do that now here's an interesting point 
about a hopeful point about why, you know, there's a lot of Republicans out there that think the Republican or rather whatever they want to call them, patriots or conservatives that aren't the rhinos, or whatever's going on in that party, that they are the ones that are fighting for your freedom right now, for your medical freedom. And they're the ones we should elect if you believe that election is really happening. You know my thoughts on that. The point, though, is that you could consider that it may be in some way accurate. It, it, I, and I'm, that must mean by a hopeful point that maybe these are people that aren't necessarily Republican or conservative that just recognize that there's an opening here. The P, and this is what I'm talking about. The m- people see this. They're screaming to their representatives. No one's listening. They're marching. They're protesting. They're having a, people want change. And so maybe there's a person in this position that go, you know what? I'll run. Because I care about this. And then they're desperately terrified of those people. And they want to attack those people. They want to disparage those people and call them racist and call them whatever. So I'm hoping that's the case as opposed to it being a a false dichotomy. And it's really just about getting your vote. I hope that there are people that are rising up to, to run. But I mean, I only say that because I just hold out some level of hope for that I'm wrong. You know my opinions. I don't believe the system is even valid enough to your vote translates to something and that's not because it couldn't it's because i think that they've bastardized that and actually an interesting ending point somebody very ridiculously called me a statist somebody who watches this show is a regular commenter said that i'm a statist now because i made that comment about i think i said that voting in a representative system is paramount now here's what it means to not assume things right did i say that i believe that that is what is paramount or is that in my point being I'm not asking for that system. I don't want that system. I believe in something very different. As you guys know, we can get into the whole anarchistic mindset and where this goes about the, you know, no, no, it doesn't mean no rules, no rulers. That, that's what they love for you to think that anarchism means chaos because they're afraid of a system with no rulers. But my point is that I don't, I don't want any, I don't want any voting. That's not what I'm talking about. Other than the idea, I like to get too abstract with it. But the idea that I can argue that if you wanted a democratic system, and it was honest, well, then yes, obviously voting would be paramount. But that's not me saying I want that. You see my point? And this person came out and f- just yelled and said, oh my God, you, you're, I can't believe you just said that. You were, you're lost. The tra-. And I'm just thinking, man, it's amazing how somebody can follow you for years and go, oh, you're the best, you're the best, or whatever. And then one thing they, they perceive being different and suddenly you're the worst chill ever alive. I mean, how does that even exist? I question whether they were truly supportive if that's the case. Or rather, they just support it insofar as you say what they want you to say. That's not real support. Anyway, I can't believe somebody would argue for how, how outspoken I am. Vote no one 2024 that I'm a statist. I mean, it's just people are kind of losing it. And I shouldn't even, you know, I should even just give the benefit of the doubt that maybe the assumption was made and it was over the top because he's frustrated about what's going on in the world. And it's no big deal. Just understand that we just temper ourselves to jump in, myself included. I've seen many times, or you guys have seen many times, where I jump out and lash out on Twitter and make, I I perceive it as making a fool of myself because I hate getting caught up in these ridiculous back and forth. But the idea being that we just need to be more skeptical of these things and realize that there's, there's valid points to any kind of ideology if you really look into it. It just means I personally have the belief that the system is broken to the point to where there is no saving it ultimately in the context of the voting process. And I've said that many times. I don't know how that overlaps with being a statist, especially as I actively call out these people and their their authoritarian foreign policy. But either way, guys, I think it's important. I think I actually lost where I was going with that. There was a connection to what I was saying at the end there. Either way, guys, thank you for being here and continuing to be objective. You inspire me every single day. And I really mean that. I mean, I just I, I was just reading an amazing letter 
from some from a chiropractor who sent you know a great donation and there's a lot of you out there and i never even remember to truly stand up and say thank you for all you're doing and all you're sending each one of you whether it's a dollar or a thousand dollars i think every single one of you it, it means everything to us every single time and every letter we read and every one we try to respond to so thank you all for your support it means everything to me Thank you all. And by the way, make sure you follow us on Parler as I was showing you some of those tweets on there because we are continuing to try to use that platform more because Twitter is going to block us more and more everywhere we go. Now, thank you for tuning in today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. I see all the people Led into deception By the very men Bound to care Blinded by the promises Unknowingly stole despair So leave your herd of sheep And follow this shepherd to revolutionary ends that you knew has changed around you It's all become a money game It's all become a money game It's all become a money game Are you ready for Are you ready for Are you ready for Revolution Now it's happening all around you. If you cannot see, pull aside the curtain and see the war machine. It's time for you to rise up, rise up and prepare. So arm your fellow man, cause it's become destructive to its own ends. World that you knew has changed around you. It's all become a money game. It's all become a money game. It's all become a money game. Are you ready for? Are you ready for? Are you ready for? Now it's happening all around you. If you cannot see, pull aside the curtain and see the war machine. It's time for you to rise up, rise up and prepare to arm your fellow man. Cause it's become destructive to its own ends. World that you knew has changed around you. It's all become a money game. It's all become a money game. It's 
It's all become a money game Are you ready for Are you ready for Are you ready for The revolution The revolution Revolutions now It's happening all around you If you cannot see Pull aside the curtain And see the war machine It's time for you to rise up Rise up and prepare So arm your fellow man They become destructive To their own ends that you knew has changed around you It's all become a money game It's all become a money game It's all become a money game Are they ready for Are they ready for Are they ready for